0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Iron List.
1: This is the podcast where we do lists here at the critically acclaimed network. And and we're trapped in a coffin this week, or this month. And we're going to be reading you lists from inside this little enclosed space. Yep. I will be Mm. spinning in that grave because somewhere
0: out there, someone is insulting the movie White House Down.
1: You just you suspect that's happening somewhere. Probably happening, yeah. spinning in my grave. What would make you spin in your grave?
0: like when you died or someone did something. What would make you spin in your grave?
1: Well, the 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 phrase is turn in your grave, and the idea is something so outrageous you're not merely turning, you're you're spinning. Uh, yes, that's, it's, that's, it's that's what al- It's all it's already been been ca- kind of pushed to an extreme there. Yeah. So what, what would make me turn in my grave? Sure. Yeah, I, I prefer that. It's a little spooky. I don't care, Whitney I lost all interest Moving on Uh, Nothing, I'd be dead (laughs) Couldn't couldn't really affect it Uh, Anyway,
0: this My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic I write for The Wrap And The Film Verdict And Slash Film And
1: Everybody Calls Me Bibbs My name is Whitney Seibold And I am obtuse Very much. I uh, am the obtuse one. I I am also a film critic. I write for Slash Film. And uh, this is our podcast, our monthly show, The Iron List, uh, where
0: our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, uh, they pick a topic and we have to do a top 10 list of that topic. Whitney does a list. I do a list. They are separate lists. Sometimes there's some overlap. We do not talk about it in advance. Uh, This time was actually a little different because usually we pitch ideas to our patrons and they choose which idea of ours they want to do. This time we left it up to the patrons and they came up with a whole bunch of really cool ideas and we whittled it down to the, the handful that we thought would probably make the best episode of the Iron List and then we let our patrons vote for that. And it was a really, really, really tight competition. It was very, very close. But in the end, the winner was the best single location movies, which is an interesting subgenre of film. It's, it's more of a subgenre of craft than it is specifically, uh, uh, about plot because you can do a single location movie in a whole variety of different, uh, storytelling styles. Mm-hmm. But the filmmaker is limiting themselves sometimes out of necessity and sometimes out of the sheer desire to challenge, uh, to a, a finite space. Uh, and this has led to a whole lot of interesting films over the years. Gimmick films. Uh, horror thrillers. Comedies. Uh, you know, sort of family so, um, dramas where you can't, like, leave the house and
1: it's miserable. Uh it's not necessary that a film trek around the globe. No, it is not. Uh, there's there's a, a fallacy going about through film schools, um, the, the whole show don't tell thing. Yeah. Uh, the phrase show don't tell is not a, some sort of creative mandate that dictates the quality of a film. Yep. It's a piece of advice given to first year film students to encourage them to think visually. Yes. What, how can you communicate uh, information to the audience through uh, like a single visual shot? Rather than a few lines of dialogue. Is there a visually efficient way to convey an idea, a
0: plot point, a part part of characterization where you don't have to waste any dialogue space doing it? Yeah. And that is a very useful tool to have in your toolbox. It is, however, only one. Mm. Uh, And and as with any guideline, you can go askew if you know what you're doing and why you are mm. sort of shirking conventional
1: wisdom. Yeah, so a lot of great movies tell don't show. That's yeah, true, and, and and that's true of a lot of the movies we're going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. Because when you're trapped in a single location, well, I say trapped, just mm-hmm. set in a single location. But being trapped so, is some often of, part of it. Some of mine are about being trapped, but yeah. uh, the um, that's when character and dialogue have to come into it. That's yeah. when stories are told. That's when you don't leave that location, and it's just told through dialogue. Yeah, and that is effective. Yes. I like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes I am upset when they leave the room. (laughs) I'm not sure if you've ever had this phenomenon, um, but this happens to me a lot, where you're watching a film... And you're just sort of like sinking into the world Mm -hmm. of the movie. Like it's in the first few minutes, maybe the first 10, 15 minutes of the film. When they're they're trying to grab you. And 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 you're fascinated
0: even if it's not good. Like, what is this world I'm in
1: now? They're establishing everything during this time, if the filmmaker is doing their job. Uh, We're getting to know characters. We're getting Mm to know settings. We're getting to know the world we are in. And then the plot will begin. Something will happen in the film. It's like, oh, this is going to be a film about this person's legal troubles. This yeah. is going to be about finding a magical trinket, you know, whatever uh, it is. Falling in love, something. Yeah, yeah. So, something happens. Do you ever feel like a, a twinge of disappointment mm-hmm. that a story has begun? Yeah. It's, it's I been, do. Yeah, I do yeah. sometimes.
0: Because I've made this argument before and I think this is true for a lot of, a lot of genre films in particular, like mm-hmm. think of a slasher movie, for example, and that's a movie in which a whole bunch of people who are going about their lives relatively normally and their lives are suddenly interrupted by the appearance of someone who is killing them off over a vacation weekend. And I think one of the reasons why that genre is able to proliferate is that a lot of the characters who get killed in those movies... Are people we don't mind dying because they're not necessarily crafted very well. Uh-huh. This is a this is a genre that is you can get away with not doing it great a lot of the time. But I would argue that a lot of those movies, a lot of these horror movies, where all of a sudden there's a ghost or a vampire mm-hmm. or there's a killer virus from outer space or something, um, I find that they tend to work better if had the inciting incident—the ghost, the vampire, the killer virus—had never happened. Mm-hmm. You still would have been interested in their lives.
1: Yeah, yeah. I
0: think that is, again, it's not a universal rule. There are no universal rules. But I think that's a pretty good guideline. Mm. If you can just tell a story with just those characters. Yeah. Just doing their thing. And going about their lives. And yes, yeah, stuff happens, but you don't need, like, the added selling point. Mm. You're doing something really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And and not all the movies that I'm going to be talking about do that. (laughs) Like some of them, Mm. some of them are character pieces, like two or three are just absolute character pieces, but some of them are genre films that are playing with the idea of limited space. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's exciting for me, the criteria for this list Mm. in order to narrow it down and to decide what counts and what doesn't uh firstly the movie doesn't have to exclusively take place in one location but the majority does and the comfortable majority like at least two-thirds you can have an opening or a bookend or occasional flashback but the majority of the tale has to take place within a relatively confined space yeah uh that's that was important to me and the other thing that was important to me is that the uh actually i had three rules that the confined space has to be Pretty confined.
1: hmm
0: Like Grand Hotel
1: all takes was, place in a hotel, yeah, but I that's was, a big hotel. I, I was considering for a second uh, the rules of the game. Yeah. Which, first of all, it takes them a while to get to that mansion. A long time. A lot of the characters aren't in the mansion. In fact, there's a scene where they're like looking through a telescope at other characters, so they're clearly yeah. far off. Yeah. And it that, that mansion is so vast... Mm-hmm. And uh, Renoir uses, like, all this deep focus and all these, like, huge wide shots to show you the enormity of this place. Yeah. That's not a confined place. Exactly. Which leads mm-hmm. Same with, like, last year at Marion Bad. Marion yeah. Bad's like an a state, you know? Yeah, it's huge. So, that was my final rule, and this is arguably, besides
0: being the majority of them, this is the other one that's really important. For me, any film that I chose, the use of a single location a single space or maybe a couple of rooms but a, a narrowly defined space had to affect the way the film was told okay it couldn't just by you know it's like diehard takes place in a, in a building does it really prevent them from doing much no like but there are movies that take place in just one room there are movies that take place in a box there are movies that take place in areas where traditional storytelling tricks are not necessarily always on the table and you actually need to find a way to tell that story Hmm. uh you and that confined space presents a bit of a challenge maybe and if it's on this list it probably inspired people to greatness
1: doesn't always but if i put it on the list i think it did yeah so that was important um Okay, uh, to sort of run down how we do lists, if I may. Please, um, yeah. yeah. We do them a little differently. We, we do them a little differently. We we do have, uh, they're not top 10 lists. They are lists of 10 titles. Yes. Uh, that can be viewed in any order. We don't like to rank it. It doesn't really matter what's number eight versus what's number four. You know, that's that's yeah. kind of arbitrary. We want you to we, see uh, all these movies. We do save our, uh, we do have a number one. We pick a best and we save that one for last. But the films we speak of along the way are tied for number two, essentially. Yeah. Uh, That said you want to just kick I, it? I, uh, I, what you were off? Because I actually want to connect to something you were saying. Please do. You uh, can go ahead. If, if you're making a really good slasher movie, it's interesting characters that they're establishing and they have interesting conversations before the killer shows up. Mm-hmm. I feel that way about Kevin Smith's Clerks. Uh, <laughs> I almost picked this one. I, okay, picked uh, one. Uh, I try
0: to avoid lately when we do these lists, picking films we talk about a lot. Yeah, we talk so about Clerks a lot. There's but a couple a, of films that we talk about a lot that would fit this mold, and I'm mm-hmm. consciously avoiding them because we've recommended them a lot before. Yeah, I've...
1: I'm, trying trying to keep a few just sort yeah. of uh, a few surprises in here yeah. but a few i just couldn't stay away from because no, they're two makes some great movies um clerks uh you know because i'm the age i am was born in 1978 clerks came along when i was a teen uh back when the you know when the indie scene was just sort of booming and it felt really important at the time mm-hmm. the idea of these 20-somethings having this kind of very frank somewhat crass very pop culture skewed conversation. And that's the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's about two people who work in these two little dead end jobs in this strip mall in New Jersey. One's a a convenience store, a really crappy one. mm -hmm. And the other is a video store, a A really really crappy crappy one. And they're
0: literally right next door to Mm -hmm. each other. And that's where
1: like 97% of the movie takes place. Yeah. 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 Like they, they leave at one point, they go up onto the roof at one point, but they're still kind of trapped there. And that's kind of the point of the movie is they're trapped. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, that that could have been a slasher. All of a sudden, a killer bursts in <laughs> and starts chasing him around with an axe. What was
0: that? Well, there was there was one slasher in the eighties. It was like the Intruder that was like a slasher. It was like killing people after hours at a grocery store.
1: Oh, I haven't seen that one. I think that's I The Intruder. That I'm not sure. Let me check. You, you do That sounds interesting, though. I know there's a sequence in FX2 where uh, a killer is stalking Brian Brown around a grocery store, and he's using things like shoe polish and canola oil to, to get... Oh, yeah. Ends up shrink-wrapping that. his head. Like, there's some <laughs> cool stuff in that sequence.
0: Um stupid movie, but very fun. <laughs> I love FX2 FX1, so legitimate classic, yeah. awesome, one of the best thrillers of the 1980s. FX2, an incredibly silly motion picture, it's, but a very entertaining one. Yeah, yeah.
1: Just like robot cl- It has a literal robot clown in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Clerks, I feel like it, it owes a great debt to something like I mean, forgive me, Godard's Breathless. Because mm-hmm. uh, Godard's Breathless is often cited as being uh, one of the uh,
0: it was just more, intruder. It, That's the movie. It was, was just intruder. Right. Yeah, it's
1: not good enough to make my list. But it's a fun slasher. Right. Uh, Breathless was about characters who were very clearly influenced by the movies they watched and that was a novelty at the time. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and like, uh, the, the John Paul Belmondo character is actually seen like admiring a poster of Humphrey Bogart and like changing his clothes to look a little bit more like Humphrey Bogart. He wants right. to be a movie character and he's in a movie. So there's this kind of meta narrative. Mm. Uh, clerks is the same way. Just fast forward at, you know, another generation, generation and a half, uh, if, if you will, yeah, that's true. um, where it's about sort of the, the milieu of the Gen Xer, their dead end jobs. They're educated. They, yep. they know the big words, And there's no prospects for them. They're sort of stuck in these dead-end jobs. They're kind of disgusted by the world. Disaffected is Mm -hmm. sort of the the reason. And they're using their smarts to do things like dissect Return of the Jedi, Mm -hmm. which was considered really kind of strange and novel at the time. At the time, it used to be considered relatively
0: gauche for characters in movies Mm. to talk about other movies a lot. Yeah, There would be the occasional reference, maybe, but the idea of characters who would not only mention a movie, but compare their lives to other movies and to reference other movies in a way that sort of revealed elements of their character was certainly not invented by the 90s, but very popularized in the 90s by films like Pulp Fiction, Clerks, and Scream. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I think the reason why those movies had almost an an indelible... uh, Uh, an indelible impact on the way that discords change within movies uh, is because by the 90s, that's how people talked yeah yeah The access to home video i was to say the, v- to, the vhs yeah.
1: revolution really changed yeah. that because and cable yeah. tv as well yeah. uh the idea that people could spend a sizable portion of their spare time mm-hmm. doing nothing but watching movies casually yeah um uh, I, and I that remember, would impact yeah. the way that they talked and the way
0: that they yeah. felt and the I way remember, that they processed uh, the world
1: reading something from sarah vowell um author I'm very fond of. Yeah, historian um,
0: and in the, also the voice of Violet in the Incredibles movies. That's right.
1: Uh, yeah. But uh, she wrote an essay on Tom Cruise and noted because of the age she was and the cable TV she has, she had seen every single one of Tom Cruise's movies without trying. Yeah. Like, you don't have, you just see them. They're on yeah. cable TV. Oh, that looks okay. I'm going to make dinner and watch Days of Thunder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's like an, a curious phenomenon that you can see an entire actor's filmography without really seeking it out. Yeah, uh, it, movies became very passive, and as such, uh, when it finally got into the hands of these snotty filmmaking kids in the '90s, uh, it became all about deconstruction. And I feel like if they were doing that kind of thing on the road, or if they were constantly changing locations in something like Clerks, mm-hmm. it would be about the locations. It would be about their movement. It would be about sort of the wide world that they inhabit, or it would be about the trip they're on. I think it would probably. Uh, it could
0: just potentially be about them in a car. They they mm-hmm. did like um, a Clerks short film. I remember in like the early two thousands, uh, that was literally just Dante and Randall, the two characters from Clerks, mm-hmm. stuck in traffic.
1: Oh, okay, there that we was go. the whole. And
0: they just had a long conversation about how. Uh, and the 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 they're, joke they is very talk about
1: the relationships too. That's a big part of the, what well, the they talked about fun. in that
0: short was uh, how like. TV promised them a flying car.
1: Oh, okay. The
0: Jetsons promised us a flying car. Blade Runner promised us a flying car. Uh, Back to the Future promised us a flying car. And here we are stuck in traffic. And they were talking about the lengths that they would go to in order to bring the, the flying car into the world. And frankly, the joke goes to some pretty gross places even for Kevin Smith. But <laughs> well, it the... is it was about the conversation, not the trip. Okay. To be fair.
1: Fair. It's it could fair. be done. It, but it... you'd be stuck in traffic. <laughs> It'd just be a different stuck location. Yeah. it's like, not a be, bad idea. They, but they couldn't be moving is my point. They, yeah, couldn't, they point. couldn't, they couldn't start in New Jersey and end up in you know Chicago or something. No, that, and that's and James that L. Strike back. I suppose so. And <laughs> it's a very different animal. It's a very, very it? different it? animal. Yeah. It's very true. Yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like them being stuck is not just effective to the kinds of conversations they have. Mm-hmm. They're very idle, uh, but also their lives. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they, they, they can't, uh, the Dante character is played by an actor named Brian O'Halloran. Uh, the, the running gag is that he he's going in on, on his day off. Like he wasn't supposed to go there. He was asked yeah. to co- come into work at the last minute. And it's ruining and, his life at yeah, work today. He's at work today and it's ruining his Like he can't be anywhere else. He can't yeah. go anywhere. He wants to play hockey. So he goes to the roof of the building. And it doesn't end well. No. <laughs> Barely starts. <Yeah. laughs> it, it's, it's about being stuck. And yeah. that's a very relatable feeling for when you're in your 20s. I think, I think it's a very relatable <laughs> feeling when you're at work.
0: Oh, the idea yeah, of being too. stuck
1: at work, uh, that
0: there's things you would rather be doing, mm-hmm. and here you are, you have obligations. You are not just doing a job, you're trapped. And, you know, Kevin Smith, part of this was uh, budgetary reasons, but, um, you know, even when he did Clerks 3, he commented mm-hmm. on this. Um, shooting the whole film in black and white gave the whole film like a security camera footage kind of vibe. Yeah. So that it really does feel like we're kind of peeking in on these guys when no one else is around Mm -hmm. and this is what the clerks talk about when no one else is around and having done retail yes (laughs) it's not always that profane but yeah basically that's the vibe Mm -hmm. uh and that was one of the cool things about clerks is that it kind of led us into a space that a usually isn't given a lot of screen time in movies Mm-hmm B turns out to be interesting enough to deserve screen time in movies. Uh, and C can actually be mined for some, you know, is immature profundity a thing? Like oh, Kevin, yeah. Kevin yeah, Smith like, wasn't, you know, you, as worldly be, as he uh, is now, but he had thoughts in his head, you know, he cared about
1: stuff. The, the way I've put it in the past, and I've used, usually used this to talk about. Um, there's a, just a certain kind of filmmaker that likes to ta- tell stories of young people mm-hmm. who are really erudite and well-read, but they're also young, so they have no life experience. Yeah, exactly. Witt Stillman. Whit Stillman is the perfect example yeah. of this. They're they're smart, but they're not wise. Yeah. They, they have intelligence, it. but no wisdom. And I, I feel like that's the first clerks. Mm-hmm. And I uh, think
0: Kevin Smith has just a teensy bit of wisdom.
1: Well a sort well, of a, I a, think a
0: sort of a youthful wisdom. He's yeah. he's come to a conclusion that his characters haven't yet. And that's and well, the I, cool thing about the sequels uh, to clerks is that they acknowledge that the conclusion clerks comes to is not the end all be all of anything and mm-hmm. growing up is a ongoing process yeah, throughout your yeah, entire yeah. life until you die basically.
1: Um I, I actually appreciate Clerks too. It actually sure. kind of celebrates idling, you know, mm-hmm. after, once you have that perspective. It's like actually this is this is okay for me. Yeah. Um I uh, I got to see um, this. This is a little off topic, but actually goes back to something like Clerks. Uh, I got to see Michael Shannon uh, at a, like a live interview recently, Okay. and he was talking about his favorite bands, and he's very fond of REM. He's a big REM fan. Cool. And in, and he has a band, and he sings with it, and he's sing and he's going on tour. He's going to sing the entire record of Murmur, the REM record. I uh, want to see that. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds fun. It's really good singing Radio for Europe, uh, but he noted that. You, you look at sort of like these bands that change the world or these singers these artists they're all kids mostly like a lot of them are yeah. at least when they started out yeah, yeah. it's it's you'll see profound artists who do you know excellent refined work when they're older but mm. they really shake things up when they're when they're trying to change the rules when they're really mm-hmm. eager uh, and that happens when you're young mm-hmm. That's Kevin Smith. That's Kevin Smith changing... Because he was only in his early 20s. He's Mm -hmm. telling stories about people in their 20s. They're trying to just sort of do their own thing. And in so doing are kind of changing things a little bit unwittingly. Uh, Orson Welles had a bit about this. Mm -hmm. He was talking about Citizen
0: Kane. and He was talking about it years after the fact. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first movie he ever made is often cited as the best movie ever made, or one of them at least, which is, you know, a lot to live mm. up
1: to for the rest of your career. You go forward to something like F for Fake. Yeah. He's actually doing something really kind of clever and heady and intellectual. He's a great film, Not mentioned as often as Citizen Kane. No, no, no. It's not, he made a lot of great movies, I think, uh, you know, but, but Citizen Kane arguably
0: overshadowed them all. Mm. And the, he was basically asked something along the lines of... Um, Citizen Kane broke a lot of rules, did a lot of things that people said couldn't be done in cinema. It's one of the reasons why we still celebrate it, and it also works as a film. How did you do that? And he said, I was too young and inexperienced to know that I couldn't.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I didn't know what couldn't be done, so Mm. I just did it. And and he said, I could never do it today. Mm. I know way too much about how movie making (laughs) works
1: to change how movie making works i I really love when scorsese cracks out with something really kind of cynical and profound like silence yeah but it's not going to have the same impact as mean streets isn't it no or even
0: taxi drivers yeah it's early stuff anyway good pick i almost picked clerks and then i almost i i I had a transition planned okay i was gonna do like i'm gonna talk about the very best movie about clerks that's a comedy And shot in black and white. And I was going to go to the shop around the corner. Oh, okay. And then I realized the shop around the corner doesn't really fit my mold because... Well, it does not set entirely in the shop. The the vast majority of it is. I think Uh, that part works fine. But it doesn't actually pose any problems to the filmmaker because it's in the shop. Clerks, it's really claustrophobic. They're shooting in a real convenience store. That is a tight, uncomfortable space. Yes. (laughs) They had to, like, close the shutters in order to actually make it work for their lighting so they had to create a plot point that justified why the shutters were closed all day Mm. they had to deal with the challenge of that movie um so i don't really think i have a great film that like neatly dovetails into that i think the closest thing that i got uh Is a film that I wonder if it's on your list because we've we talked about it not that long ago. It is an excellent film, it is in one shot. It is a road trip,
1: okay, and it's only got one guy in it, (laughs) okay. And it's Locke, it's Locke, yeah, yeah. Was it on your list? Uh, it's on my runner's up. Oh, I'm surprised.
0: Uh, Locke Locke is a film starring Tom Hardy. That's
1: it, and and, uh, there's other actors, people on the phone. There's people on
0: the phone. The, The idea of Locke. Uh, is uh, Tom Hardy plays a guy. He works in construction. Uh, it is the end of the day. He gets in a car, and he's going on a very long drive. And we don't know why at the start of the film. We don't know where he's going. What we do know is that he's calling a lot of people up, and he's making a lot of excuses. It becomes clear as he talks to people about like how to cover uh, shifts, how to... like. He's talking about. I think he's calling like the big pour. He's got like going to have to like the pour the entire foundation for like a building. And mm-hmm. I can't be there for that. Everyone's and, like, "That's your job. That's the important thing. You have to be there."
1: It's like yeah. someone else has to do and it. I need to cover that. I need and, to have all my bases. Here's a detail I love about Locke. Yeah. It turns out that's a really complicated thing to do. Yeah, pour the pour the concrete base of a building. Like yeah. figuring out the traffic, all of the logistics, and everything, and there's a a wonder a lot of wonderful scenes where he's talking to his assistant on the poor. Yeah. Like, who has to sort of take over uh, on the fly. And he, he's, on the other end of the phone, clearly, like, getting drunker while he has to, like, make these new adjustments because he yeah. doesn't want to do any of it. Yeah. It's like, you can tell he's like, this guy on the other end of the phone is going through these various cycles of, okay, I can do this steely, oh, fuck it, I'm just going to get drunk. Like, he yeah. keeps, that's really hilarious, this this off-screen character. So you get really invested in this because who
0: hasn't had to, like... Uh, 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 what's what's uh, basically bestow responsibility onto others. Mm. I had a responsibility. I need to delegate that responsibility, and it's a really important thing, and it needs to get done. And you find yourself really caught up in that. But then you also find out he's uh, he's also avoiding his wife. Mm -hmm. and like his like whole family and the people that he talks to on the phone these are good actors by the way it's olivia coleman ruth wilson andrew scott tom holland before anyone knew who he was um you realize as the film progresses and we we hear the other voices but we only see tom hardy's side of it Mm -hmm. his life is gradually falling apart over the course of this car ride He's endangering his career, possibly throwing it away. He's endangering his marriage, possibly throwing it away. And it takes a really long time to figure out why. And the reason, which I'm not going to ruin for you because only so much happens in the movie, but the reason makes sense. Mm. It's dramatic. It's a reveal. But it's not like, I'm a super spy and this was all like a secret facade. No, it's real. It's very real. The whole premise is a guy enters a car with a life and he exits the car without one. Mm. And it's absolutely riveting to see someone's life implode. Yeah. And to have it happen over a short amount of time. And it's genuinely tragic. I think... I was shocked when Tom Hardy didn't get an Oscar nomination for this movie. I'm not gonna lie; I, like it's just it's all on his shoulders, and he he makes it. It's never less than fantastic. Yeah, but I think yeah. more credit needs to go to writer director Stephen Knight, who took something which really, by all rights, should be a radio play, uh-huh. and he manages to make it cinematic without trying to go overboard and make it like flashy. Like I'm gonna show all these really cool shots
1: of the car. Yeah, he uh, he you know? he keeps it on on the actors close up. Um, He does cut inside the car, you know, Mm -hmm. close-ups of, like, the radio and things like that. it's not all one shot. And uh, the the one sort of cinematic flourish that he does is um, Locke, the Tom Hardy character, begins to sort of question his, like, his morals, his standing, his character. And he does so by having a conversation with himself. And a second Tom Hardy appears in the the backseat of the car, and he starts talking to the other Tom Hardy. Yeah, so there's an element Um, of fancifulness to it, but it's not,
0: like, the whole movie. And ultimately, it's incredibly raw and real and it's the kind of movie that if like you were taking a screenwriting class they would tell you not to do that Mm, that's probably a gamble that you're not skilled enough to pay off and yet it works totally works it's a genuinely brilliant motion picture I love yeah so uh yeah lock Mm. it was briefly something people were very excited about and it's been like i don't know six or seven years since it came out and people don't talk about
1: it as much anymore it's really great uh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, we passed through this period when uh, an actor or a filmmaker would sort of splash onto the scene, and mm. the first instinct of everyone was to ask, "When are you going to do a Star Wars or a Marvel?" And Ugh. it's like, and so that, and a, a lot of these really kind of interesting I blame, filmmakers. I blame we, the industry for that. By the, the industry, way. the media do, yeah. industry
0: is like that. Editors were telling people what drives mm. traffic to our sites. Are those pre-existing IPs? So try to find a way to frame everything you do around, around those, those things, which so creates like, this idea that the world actually does revolve around yeah, those. And it's, it was, it's really toxic it's, for
1: the whole industry. Yeah, so so it, and, it, and it was always disheartening when it happened. It's yeah. like I'm going to make Satsy good. You're good for Wolverine, right? Yeah. It's like, can I just make more interesting films? No, you make yeah. Wolverine. And the and yeah. the, the thinking was okay. Well, they'll they'll do that, and they'll get a lot of money. And then they can go back to doing much more interesting stories. And it's pretty rare that that actually happens. I I can only think of maybe a few occasions when that actually happens. Kudos
0: to Christopher Nolan. He did three Batman movies and he got out. And he got out. And he used the clout he did Uh, for making those Batman movies to turn himself into a brand where simply being a Christopher Nolan movie can sell a film that in any other context would not have made $800 million. Yeah,
1: like like Oppenheimer. There's no Uh, way
0: anyone else directing Oppenheimer, that movie is one of the big smash hits of the summer.
1: Yeah, so yeah. he
0: knew how to play it but a lot of people uh, can't do that they don't have that clout
1: uh, Taika Waititi is the other one he made, he made mm-hmm. a Thor movie mm-hmm. and then he made Jojo Rabbit after Kudos. that and I think that was a good, an interesting choice Yeah. anyway um, speaking of uh, people's lives falling apart mm. Funny Games uh, okay. is a home invasion film yes it's one of uh, the scariest movies ever made if you ask me but uh, the original right the, well they're kind of the same I understand that but uh, you gotta pick one I'll pick the original. Okay. Uh, Michael Haneke did uh, Funny Games. He did it twice. He did it once in German and once in English, Or was it French? Um, I, think it was, I think it was French. I'll check. Yeah. Um, but it, it's about a, a family and they're... They seem like sort of a comfortable average family, but they're really actually very bougie. Yeah. They have you know, a really nice second home, like a country home out by the lake. and uh, mm-hmm. Or out, out in a, like, a remote location, vacation area. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lake town. It's, it's like a lake yeah. Com- community, yeah. And uh, these t- uh, two young men come in, and they're wearing, like, tennis outfits. They got, like, white co- white shirts and white shorts, and they have white gloves on. Yeah. Uh, they asked to borrow six eggs. It's French. German and French. It's French, yeah. German yeah. French, yeah. Uh, They asked to borrow six eggs. That's kind of a big get, because they only have a dozen in their fridge. But they say, okay, well, we'll give you six Social contract says yeah. we should be friendly. Like, you showed up. But... They're being a little pewy about it, and it's this weird, awkward situation. They hands them the hands and the eggs—they drop the eggs and break all six of them. It's like, well, we still need those eggs. Could we? Could we still Have borrow the eggs? All we'll, of your we'll, eggs. We'll pay. We'll pay you back for these eggs. And eventually, this fine. We'll give you the eggs. Mm-hmm. These little tiny microaggressions mm-hmm. give these two young men the inn that they've been looking for to trap these people. Yeah. They've been looking for whatever excuse they can to become the torturers that they are. Yes. They uh, they lock people in. They put bags over their heads. Mm. They humiliate them. They uh, mm. harm them. Yes. Uh, they play horrifying games, yeah, if fu- you will. funny games. Uh, you know, there's... You know, pe- people are forced to do horrible things at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think the family's going to get out okay? Mm-hmm. Maybe they aren't. There's, there's one trick that Michael Haneke does
0: well, I, in the movie. Let's near the end of the movie. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to say what it is. He does one. It, it's mostly there's two things about the movie that are not realistic. One is a is a shot in which the one of the villains just looks right at the camera. Yeah, just looks at you mm. as if kind to of, say, kind of, kind of hey. as if to say, I'm doing this for you. Mm. You shut up to the horror movie. I'm doing this for you. And there's one other thing Michael Haneke does later which should break every rule in the fucking universe. (laughs) There's no conceivable way that what he does should be satisfying. Hmm.
1: And it fits the deeply cynical world of this film Michael Haneke uh his movies tend not to be very humane uh he Mm -hmm. tends to be very cynical about the human condition I think weirdly enough Amour the film about end-of-life care is like the one that's the most human and yet Uh, it has maybe my like
0: most maybe the most depressingly bleak ending (laughs) of any movie to me because it's human Mm. because it's humane and yet it has to end like that
1: yeah yeah. and it kills me just thinking about that movie i'm very fond of michael haneke he's 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 a provocateur with with an eye and with a point he's not Mm. just trying to gross you out he's actually trying to to say something and uh, i feel with funny games Mm. and it's made a little bit more obvious when he remade it in english because it's i think addressing something that's very american in cinema but this idea of, like, a thirst for violence. Mm-hmm. You, you, the killer looks at the camera. You're in on this. Yeah. And the film is actually very uh, forthright about the way it implicates the audience mm-hmm. in violence. You, you, you want that, don't you? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and, and if It blames you, and if you, the audience
0: for what's happening. This yeah. is
1: happening because you're so here, the, and and it is a it is more or less a torture movie. Like this family mm. suffers. Yeah, this is before like the
0: home invasion movie became like kind of popularized. Like there'd always yeah, been. Yeah. Well, but it, like, there's like schlocky versions like The Purge. But yeah, you know, yeah, no, um, but like nowadays. But then you know we had stuff like The Strangers, for example, mm. which is a lot of people consider it to be a horror classic. Not my favorite, but I get it. Um, I never saw the first. I saw the second. I like that one okay. I heard that one was good. I never got around to it. The first one's good. It's kind of the same scare over and over again for me. Mm. It's like they don't know someone's in the house and you see them in the background, which is scary. Yeah. But you only get so much mileage out of it. And I think it pushes it too far. But, you know, there have been home invasion movies since like the 60s and the 70s and like earlier. Um,. But they just didn't really get codified in, like, this horror, take a drink, mm-hmm. milieu, you, uh, properly, I think, until the last 20, 30 years or so. And I think Funny Games is one of the films that did. Yeah. And a lot of the home invasion movies, because they are about people penetrating what's supposed to be a safe space. Yeah. Your house. A lot of, like, the scariest things in horror movies, the moments that really stand out to us stand out because they take something that should be serene and made it unsafe now. Yeah. You'll be afraid to go back into the water. Jaws. Mm. Uh, Psycho. The shower. You know, that place where you feel, like, really, really safe, Mm. but actually you're on, like, slippery tile and cornered.
1: (laughs) Like, and naked. Mm. (laughs) Like, you couldn't be more vulnerable at that point. Someone can just whip open the curtain and stab you. You got got nothing. That's the
0: scariest thing in the world. Like, that's... And Funny Games is doing that. They're just people who... They don't enter your house like a siege movie, Guns Mm. Ablazin'. They enter your house by saying, Hey, I'm your neighbor and I'd like to borrow something. And then you're too polite to ask them to leave, so they keep hanging around. And by the time you actually say, Hey, I think you should go, now it's like, well, you're being rude. And now you deserve everything I'm going to do to you and your family. And it's terrifying. And I was thinking about the way that Hanaki explicitly implicates the audience in this violence. And there Mm. is a scene in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds that it reminds me of. It's my favorite thing in The Birds, and people do not talk about it enough. Um, The thing in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, which isn't on my list, even though it takes place all in one island. um, Island, not... Too
1: far. Honestly, I didn't pick
0: Funny Games because I thought that
1: big a house... Still too good. But it, it but it's not so large that they, no, like, sneak off to other areas. Like, they're mostly in the, no, no, the it's, living room for most it's, of the movie. It's
0: riding the line. Right. It's riding the line. I totally, I'm not going to, I don't object. I'm not going to say you should change your pick. But for me, even that was too, was too much. Oh, all right. But um, The Birds is a movie in which, uh, all of a sudden, no justification ever given within the narrative of the film. All the birds in the world start attacking humans. There's no alien comet that, like, changes the Earth's atmosphere. There's no magic spell.
1: Hmm.
0: It just happens. And there's a bit in the middle of the movie after, like, somehow the birds have managed to, like, blow up a building. Mm-hmm. And the woman who oh, has come no, to that this... seagull knows how to use a lighter! Tippi Hedren has, like, come to this small town of Bodega Bay. And the story keeps following her. Why? No reason. She didn't do anything wrong. There's not even karma. But someone finally like goes up to her, but she's looking directly at the camera Hmm. and she says, who are you? What are you? Where did you come from? I think you're the cause of all this. I think you're evil, evil. She's talking to the audience. (laughs) Why is there an audience that is explicitly here to see us get murdered by birds? Hmm. You paid for that. Why did you do this to us? And that's Funny Games. That Funny Games is that as a whole yeah, movie. Yeah. Basically, like, I'm doing this because somewhere out there, people enjoy this. Yeah. And,
1: and it, that's terrifying. And I've, I feel like uh, the more profound message of something like Funny Games is mm-hmm. that's not necessarily uh, confined to movie violence. No, it's not. There's people out there who just like violence, mm-hmm. uh, who long for violence in the world. Yeah. And it's their desire that causes it. Think about all the people who are, like,
0: you know, gung-ho about, you know, war. Yeah, like, or, or other like forms com- com- of social yeah. violence. Combat. You know? or, yeah. or,
1: or or even just street fighting, you know? Yeah. Bar brawls, that remember, kind of stuff.
0: Remember that, that horrifying phenomenon they had of the, uh, uh, like, the, the pirate videos of, like, people paying homeless people to fight? Oh, golly, that
1: was terrible. That was horrible. Like yeah, yeah, that was a
0: really monstrous thing people did. It was horribly exploitative. Mm. And it wasn't, it was, live was real, which is like, mm. what the fuck is the matter with you? But there was an audience. There was And something. that should terrify us.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Anyway, um, great pick. Again, didn't quite fit my rules, but that's an excellent, excellent pick. I, I have pick. a few think, that might also ride the line. Well, but but, but, again, it's your line. We don't, oh, we right. don't usually, there's like one time we did because. Depending on how we define something, it would have prevented us from doing other lists in the future. Mm. But usually, it's totally okay if we have slightly different criteria. That's that's totally fine. I'm not All gonna. Right. I'm not gonna. Um, horror movies often really benefit from claustrophobic situations, mm. uh, and yeah. I have quite a few on you're my right. list. If, if you cannot flee, you're yeah. closer to death. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's to, to feel trapped in a literal sense. The life or the situation is incredibly harrowing. But even in just a theoretical sense, is also harrowing. And I have several films on my list that are in the horror or thriller vein. The first one is a film that I think a lot of people know. I don't think a lot of people appreciate just how great it is. Because they're focusing on one thing that is kind of iconic and not necessarily the whole film. Uh, And that film is Cujo. (laughs) Cujo is one of the scariest damn movies, if you ask me. Uh, it's based on a Stephen King novel, and the novel is about a woman who is... Uh, she's she's married, she has a young son, she's miserable, this stifled life. It's made by D. Wallace, the mom from E.T. Uh, a lot of, you know... did Cujo the same year as E.T.? When right around that out? time, yeah, it was the early 80s. Um, she's miserable, she kind of just wants to get out. She's trapped in her family. Uh, she has to go like way outside of town to like get her I think it's to get her car fixed. And she goes with her young son and what she doesn't realize is that the mechanic who would be fixing her car, his dog, a very large Saint Bernard named Cujo, contracted rabies. It has killed him. And now she's there with the dog with her young son Mm. who is not capable of processing everything. He's not useful He's just a helpless child. That's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, if you're taking stock of what your assets are, screaming terrified child isn't the most useless thing in the car. (laughs) Isn't the most useful thing in the car. So it's no help. Um, She's trapped in the car. And because she was taking the car in to get fixed, the car doesn't work. Hmm. And she ends up trapped in this car. It's long before cell phones. There's no way to communicate with the outside world. I think her husband's on a business trip, so he doesn't know she hasn't come home. Mm. She's absolutely trapped. Every time she even looks out the window, the dog tries to get in. This terrifying, giant dog. And it's a St. Bernard. They're cuddly. It's Beethoven.
1: But it's just so damn frightening. It's so huge. Cujo is not Beethoven. Beethoven is Cujo. I apologize. (laughs) Uh, I didn't see Beethoven. There's a shot in the preview, of, because there's a shot in the preview that scared me off, where that? the dog is, like, kind of, like, drooling dog spit. Oh, yeah, it's really gross. And dog it, and it really like, shakes its head, and it sprays spit in, across the room. And it's, like, in slow-mo, and, and you can it, see all the spit go. And... That grossed me out so much, yeah. I did not, <laughs> it was just, I stayed the heck away that from That is what Turner and Hooch wrought. <sighs> it was that whole that whole wave? The, um, the cute gross dog was not something I could get behind. So Cujo is actually kind of a gross movie to me. It is well, it's, a gross, it's a horror movie. It's yeah. gross. I mean, rabies isn't a isn't mm. a and tidy the, disease. And the, I, yeah. I I forgot what happens to the dog where it's like it gets like wet and its fur gets matted. Mm-hmm. Like it starts to look more and more monstrous as the movie goes yeah. on. Yeah, it's not great. like it's not and it's not turning into a monster, but it looks like it is. Apparently, in the
0: book. I don't know if it's implied or explicitly stated, because mm. the dog gets bitten by a bat. Dog gets rabies. It's mm. could happen. In the book, apparently it's implied, or if not outright stated, that he's also possessed by the serial killer from The Dead Zone.
1: Oh my god. Kujo is apparently King. one of those movies yeah. that Look. Stephen
0: King doesn't remember writing. Yeah. Because Stephen King was an alcoholic.
1: And he's recovering, good for him, but like, you know, he he apparently... He's he's been very open about his addictions, actually, so... And Cujo is also one of the movies... He would agree when I say cocaine's a hell of a drug. Cujo is also
0: one of the movies that, if memory serves, Stephen King has said, the ending of the movie is better than the book. Mm. He said that about The Mist, and that is one of the bleakest endings of all Mm. time. Ironically, in the case of Cujo... Cujo lets the audience off the hook a little bit. The original ending is so much darker. Oh, wow. Um, but it's still a really, really dark film. And it is a film about, a, it's not about the dog. The dog is the monster. The dog is just a, a poor dog, you know? Mm. It's about a woman who's trapped. And now, like, she, she doesn't, she's not really into her family anymore. She kind of wants out. She's checked out. And now she has to be this protective caregiver mother when she almost doesn't even want to be.
1: Hmm.
0: and so she's forced into this situation even more than a lot of other people would be and just it's Genuinely terrifying. Dee Wallace is incredible in this movie. I think she gives oh, an Oscar worthy yeah. performance in this movie. Like between
1: this and ET, she gave like two of the best performances of the eighties. Uh, and it's just I love she's great. I love Dee Wallace in, uh of all things, Peter Jackson's The Frighteners, mm. which was made, you know that ne- it was made in the nineties, next decade. But, yeah, um, but she's great in that movie. She, you're right, yeah. Because she she really just gets to go nuts in that. Yeah, movie. she gets she's just to really, really go overacting in that yeah. film. Like, and that's by design. And it, yeah. it, it, she's just having a wonderful time. Yeah, she often has to play like you know more. Or self contained
0: yeah, uh, like characters. I really like a character she plays in uh Ty West's The Innkeepers.
1: Yeah. Which is about uh, yeah, uh, yeah. two
0: like two young people who are like the overnight mm. uh concierge and, and bellhop of a hotel that is allegedly haunted. Like that's the mm. reason why people go and they're trying to I, prove I, that it I, is. I like
1: that one better than House of the Devil. I, I, can I appreciate I, and Everybody I likes
0: House of the Devil. I like the Innkeepers I, I, better. Innkeepers is really, really good. I think it ultimately <laughs> doesn't amount to as much as, as mm. That's was the devil does, but it's got great performances and atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And D Wallace is it's a huge the It's the atmosphere, I think, yeah, that, that really gets really me on that one. Anyway, so I love D Wallace, mm-hmm. and Cujo is mm-hmm.
1: a film that mostly takes place like Locke in a car. Yeah. Uh, except the car um, is,
0: is broken. <laughs> uh,
1: Stephen King, no- notoriously bad with endings. Uh, yeah. Uh, they, yeah. It, admittedly so. There's even a mm-hmm. joke about it in uh, the the most recent It film yeah. where Stephen King shows up, like yeah, has a cameo in the movie. Yeah, and he tells the Stephen King analog character, Your endings suck. Yeah. Uh, I discovered that there's a good ending to It. Um, mm. there, there's a film version of It from the late 90s, 1997, mm-hmm. that was made in India. Yeah. It's called Whoa, WoH, W-O-H, yeah. uh, which means like It or Hishi. It's, it's yeah. a, it, it, a, rough, a rough equivalent. Rough, rough equivalent in, in, uh, in, in, I think it was Bengali. Mm. Uh, but uh, they changed the ending. It was about, you know, kids were being stalked by the clown. Mm. They grow up, the clown is back and, you know, is still stalking them as adults and they have to sort of band mm. together in both time frames to sort of fight this clown. They find as adults... Now, in Stephen King's story, it's it's crazy insane. It's it, there's a giant uh, spider. It's like a giant, it's, like it turns it's... out it's this ancient deity, and it's yeah, like a rival really of these flies other off deities. The rails. And you know, we have to use, and yeah, it turns it's like well, this it, ancient shape. It takes space a really monster. powerful metaphor mm-hmm. for childhood fear
0: that we can all kind of wrap our heads around, uh, and it turns
1: uh, into something weirdly like a, specific, like a science fiction monster. Yeah, and it just loses so, uh, all
0: its power in the second half. Yeah,
1: it turns out that uh, it was a little bit more of a Freddy Krueger thing in this. Uh, yeah. In, in, whoa, in the Indian version, uh, because it was not a monster from outer space. It was the ghost of a dead guy who was actually like mocked and derided and murdered for, uh, being different. He was beaten to death. Mm. And, uh, they finally like found this guy's mother, like Pennywise's mom, and you know re- Revealed to him It's like hey This is what happened And she revealed All about his life And everything yeah. That went bad with him And they summoned him They had a seance And they said hey Pennywise Monster who's been Torturing us Our whole lives We understand What you've gone through We he, we, we finally mm. understand Your pain Tell yeah. us what you're Afraid of And he actually like Cries and breaks down And says Thank you for letting me Say this You've kind of Absolved me yeah. and, and he dissipates That's such a better Ending <laughs> Than that weird, stupid fucking space spider.
0: I don't disagree. Especially the new one where they have this horrible thing that they change. Where, oh, God, I didn't want to talk about it. Anyway, we, we should move on. Uh, what's your next pick? Uh,
1: let's see here. What do I want to talk about next? Um, I don't have a movie about a dog. Okay. But I have a movie called Dog Tooth. Okay. Okay. Um, which uh, actually, you know i've
0: never seen dog oh teeth. You're everyone tells out. me it's um, great i've never had the opportunity to actually sit down with it yeah. i know a little bit about it so dogtooth
1: is uh was the first film i saw by yorgos lanthimos who's become a bit of an academy darling which is weird he, which is bizarre films. His films are very strange he did a film called the favorite which was kind of an awards darling well, because that one was and kind uh, of like
0: a uh it, it was like a, a, period, a, period, a period piece period like drama, you know but it, it was it was still about like Courtroom mm. intrigue and stuff, so it yeah, kind of felt like a real movie, but it was, it was also, also very this, bizarre. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it, was, it
1: was very strange. Like the, like lesbian bitterness in the royal courts. So it was yeah. re- really, really wonderful. And there's like weirdly anachronistic
0: scenes where people mm. like dance all modern like, yeah. and it just, it, it, it's, it's great. I love that movie, but like, it's very but, uh, strange that that was an Oscar major, major Oscar contender.
1: But in the late 2000s, uh, in 2009, he made a film called Dogtooth Tooth, and uh, it is specifically about being confined. Mm. Uh, it takes place like sort of in a house, like it moves throughout the house. So it's like in various rooms and it's in the backyard. Yeah. But the characters, or at least the three children who live there, who are ad- adults, they're like 19, 20 years old, uh, have never left that estate. And we never learn why he's doing this, but the father mm. of this family has deliberately kept his children there to perform what I assume is some kind of strange social experiment on them. what? How can we shape their personalities if we tell them lies about the outside world? It's not right. him being, like, paranoid about, you know, the world out there. He actually lies well, like about Cloverfield Lane definitions or, yeah. of words and the function of sex and what animals are. Like, he, and, but he leaves every day. He goes to work, uh-huh. but he comes home and he needs this sort of like really kind of controlled environment. And the mom's in on it. Like, she's not a subject of this either. Like, so the parents are performing these weird experiments yeah. for no good reason. And they say, you can leave the house when you lose your dog tooth. And I'm getting that like your canine. Uh-huh. That, so that's like a right of path. That's not, that's made up. Like, yeah losing your dog tooth isn't a thing that happens. Well, when you're a kid, you lose it once. Yeah, but, like, and I guess when you're very elderly, maybe your teeth fall out. Yeah. Um, Weird. And uh, What's in it for you? And also, because they're the age they are, they have sexual impulses, but they're not encouraged to talk or explore or think about that at all. Yeah. Uh, So in order to... uh, They do this for their son, but not their two daughters. They've hired a, a... Sex worker to uh-huh. come in and sleep with him occasionally, but only do that. Like as, as if it's some sort of like bland biological function that yeah. needs to happen. And she goes along. The sex worker goes along with it because she's she needs the money. Yeah, she's
0: and, being yeah. But so so she's, so she's
1: kind of playing okay. playing along, but she's really weirded out by it. And eventually, she starts making demands. Uh, like uh, the son, like will have sex with me, but he's really not good at it. Like, can can we do something more? sexy fun times with this and, and the son, no, he's like doesn't know what any of that is. So she ends up going to one of the daughters for that.
0: Okay, now all this, of this is very, very weird.
1: It's all very weird and she, she doesn't know what any of this sex is. She doesn't know from yeah. sexuality. So she does it. And then eventually that becomes, like, part of the two sisters' game. It's like, hey, if I give you my hat, will you lick my shoulder? Like, that's the way they process that. Oh, God. So I, a, a, a kitten comes into the house. Uh, they don't know what it is. Yeah. And you think it's funny at first, but the kitten doesn't turn out so well. And they have to start yeah. telling more and more lies to keep this weird, bizarre experiment going. It is uh a friend of mine described it as like making out with somebody you wish you hadn't made out with mm. like it, I'm not sure if you've ever had that experience yeah, I, like it's yeah. a,
0: it sounds like a very gross rueful experience
1: yeah like that and yeah. That's, like the whole movie feels like a rueful experience yeah, uh, yeah. and it's it's gonna make you really uncomfortable but I'm if, if you like just talking if about you it. like your movies to make you uncomfortable which I do uh, then yeah this is gonna be right up your alley okay. uh, it, it's and it does I'm not, I'm not sure what like sort of grander truth it's trying to get at other than uh, your world is completely inherited. Uh-huh. It's all just the information given you. Yeah. Well, you, you're, you, have, you don't it's have an the agency social construct. you think you do. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And there's something to that. But mm. yeesh. All right, I'm going to move on to a movie about... You just want to get moving on I want to move on to a movie about... A nice movie about a corpse. Um... <sighs> This is a movie, this is actually one of, like, the better, like, kind of original concept horror movies I've seen in the last, I don't know, like, I don't think how old this movie is now, like, five or six years or so. Uh, It's got a really great uh, kind of, like, campfire story vibe Mm -hmm. and setup, but it's all very tightly constructed. It all takes place in a basement, basically. Uh, And it's called The Autopsy of Jane Doe.
1: Oh, I haven't seen this one. Yeah, it's really I thought you were going to talk about Swiss Army Man. You know, I've never seen Swiss Army Man, but
0: also that takes place on an island, which is a little different. All right. Um, the Autopsy of Jane Doe uh, stars Brian Cox and um, uh, Emile Hirsch. Okay. And they are father-son morticians. And they live in a small town and... Because it's a small town, they don't have, like, a forensics department. Mm. So occasionally, not often, but occasionally, when the police find a dead body and they need someone to do some pretty basic autopsy stuff, like determine Mm. a cause of death, uh, they'll bring it to them. And they will do that service as well. Uh, It's it's late at night. The cops have found a very, very, very strange corpse in a very strange Mm. house and it is a woman they don't know who it is they call her Jane Doe and the movie is about these two men gradually carving into her body mm. and discovering it's an autopsy, yeah. and, yeah, and disco- well it's i'm setting the mood here right. cuz it's an autopsy you can look at it clinically but what it is is about carving into a human body and not liking what you find <laughs> there's stuff in there that is not right this is wrong. Something has happened here. Possibly something supernatural. What in this... God's name is actually up with this corpse? And that is such a great premise. <laughs> this woman had love in her tummy. Like, uh, like yeah, like you,
1: you, you can you can imagine like you know a game of operation, if you will, but something unholy. Um, it wouldn't be funny if they opened up her stomach and it was just operation pieces. <laughs> That's a horror movie unto itself. It
0: feels. I feels like one of those like college humor fake
1: trailers yeah, that they would do.
0: <laughs> Operation, Operation the movie. Uh, what, have you ever seen anything like this?
1: Re- remove wrenched ankle. Oh no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I shot, well that's just the movie Saw, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I guess it is a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the Autopsy of Jane Doe has wonderful atmosphere Being I mean, Brian Cox is in it, it's got great acting um, it is just a really incredible it all takes place in the autopsy room and like the corridor around it mm-hmm. and you know, it escalates, it builds, and maybe it pushes itself a little too far by the end. I may, I think it might overplay its hand. I think in an, in an effort to take something that was very quiet mm-hmm. and semi-plausible, and then to sort of build to a crescendo and have a climax, they might have tried too hard. Mm-hmm. I think that might be fair to say. But when it comes to the majority of the film is just... I mean, do you want to be carving into a body in the middle of the night that's like died under mysterious circumstances and you're finding weird shit? Does that sound fun to you? No, that sounds creepy and gross, right? Well, guess what Um, we're doing tonight? We're watching
1: the autopsy of Jane Doe and it's gonna fuck you up. I was about to say, I don't want to do that because I have no formal medical training. Right. But uh, But, that sounds like a fun movie I would want to watch. Yeah, it's by
0: Andre Overdahl who was really hit or miss. He did a great movie called Troll. Trollhunters is great. Trollhunters is great. His scary Uh, movies to tell in the dark adaptation is pretty good. I really like that movie. I I think I like it more than you do. There's a lot of stuff it gets right, and I think it maybe tries to cover too much ground all at once. But it's it's quite good. His last voyage of the Demeter sucked.
1: Uh, Quite frankly, yeah. I I don't know
0: how much of it was him, how much of it was like this kind of script that feels like it was developed into nothingness. It's hard to say, but it's not good. I think Trollhunters is still his masterpiece. He might have peaked a little early, but Autopsy of Jane Doe is the second best film. Mm. Uh, And it's super duper scary, and people do not talk about it enough, and the horror season's coming up October. See it. It's really, really creepy. Uh,
1: Well, you know what? I don't have any horror movies. You have no horror movies? My God, I have at least one or two Um, more, Yeah. I Was tempted to put Evil Dead Two, but that also felt a little too expansive. Uh, they they take it's all takes place in a cabin in the woods, but the cabin the cabin is cavernous when they want it to be. Uh, right. like space really warps a lot. It, it doesn't feel like Ash is trapped there. Like, yeah, it's just that's the location where we could shoot. Yeah, um, I do have. I don't want to talk about that. You know what? Uh, Heck with it. I'm going to talk about The Exterminating Angel, um, this which was, is... This is uh, a movie
0: I've never seen, and I wanted to watch it in time for this, and I ran out of time.
1: Because ah, test, test. I
0: know all about it, and it made sense.
1: Yeah. Uh, this is a movie from 1962. It's Luis Buñuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, surrealist uh, provocateur par excellence. Uh, this is the guy who made movies... Uh, and put rocks in his pockets, mm-hmm. hoping that people would riot. Well, thinking that people might riot, <laughs> he but he made, he made something himself. so outrageous. Yeah. And I think might be might have been a little disappointed when people didn't riot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really great animated film that came out a few years ago called Louis Spoonwell in the Land of the Blue Turtles. Oh yeah, I missed um, that. That was good. Yeah, which was uh, a an animated film about the making of a documentary he did called uh, land without bread and how much of it was really staged and what he had to go through to make that movie. It's really fascinating. Hell of a pitch.
0: I'm telling you. Yeah.
1: Uh, But yeah, Luis Manuel loved to uh, prod uh, the system. He hated, uh, you know, organized politics. He hated organized religion. And he was very, very down on the bourgeoisie. Uh, He even made a movie called the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. Uh, And, the exterminating angel gathers a bunch of rich people in a big mansion in a big dining room and they're there to have a big meal and talk about rich people shit and uh you can tell Bunuel hates these characters <laughs> he hates them all uh they don't say anything just like overtly horrendous but they're being presented as if they're just callow horrendous people yeah dinner is over and then they can't leave why can't they leave we don't know yeah. They're not trapped in the building because there's a cataclysm outside, nothing blocked the door. There's actually a big like proscenium, a big archway that leads out of the dining room. And they just, for some surreal, irresistible reason, find that they just can't leave the room. And they, it's like Lord of the Flies. Over the course of the movie, they just <laughs> descend into sweat and sex and savagery. Um, yeah, No sex in Lord of the Flies, but sex in this movie. Uh, where do they go to the bathroom? Luckily, there's vases around, it, it, like <laughs> important works of art. Just carries their waste now. Uh, what are they going to eat? Luckily, because this is a Buñuel film and surreal things do happen, sheep kind of wander through the the property. I guess they were keeping sheep on the property, and they wander into the dining room and they kill and eat the sheep. Um okay. Eventually, the local police get called in. How we need you to come out of that room, and they just. Can't come out of the room and Bunuel is clearly saying that this ritual of the rich the fancy meal Mm -hmm. is something that has completely it's like a a symptom of their eroded souls uh, this this idea this kind of wasteful idea and I think what he wanted to do was essentially just torture these rich people. What mm. if what if you couldn't leave the mansion? What if you really if you yeah. could just stay there the this whole time? This is a place
0: you have created for yourself. Yeah, yeah. This is to a To like a live away from the built. troubles of yeah. the world. And what if it was? Yeah. What if it was not an escape but a prison?
1: Yeah. yeah. What would he, that become? He, he turned the yeah. mansion into a prison. I love that. I love love yeah. how so sort of the the delicious glee the filmmaker is obviously taking and torturing these horrendous characters that you don't like. Yeah, I love the time. I I, I don't. I
0: haven't seen the movie hmm. I always love the title Because it sounds like A low budget action movie From 1985 <laughs> Right You know Like the exterminating angel Is back mm. And the exterminating angel 2 Only know. angels have Death wings <laughs> it, yeah, yeah it's got like
1: Cynthia Rothrock And she's yeah. the exterminating angel Yeah know. yeah I assume that's not what happened.
0: No this is yeah. not
1: An action okay. spectacular okay, um,
0: not, Are there any actual angels
1: I think there might be An angel statue Okay
0: Well that explains it then
1: Yeah Yeah <laughs> Uh, it sounds a no, little, it uh, sounds a little surreal is it just me it's, it's a little surreal and uh, you know Bunuel was one of those like a, a forthright communists he really wanted yeah. to make deliberately deliberate comments with his movies yeah and so uh, yeah his sort of attack of the rich and his uh, hatred of wealth hmm. is just all over a most of his movies. And yeah. I, fe- I feel like it's just kind of right up front in something like The Exterminating exterminating Angel. Mm,
0: Excuse okay. me. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't have uh, a Bunuel
0: film. It'd be weird if I did, uh, if it wasn't The Exterminating Angel. But um, I do have a film about someone who can't leave a room. Okay. And it's not because he's in prison. Uh, it's because it is a very special room in the Dolphin Hotel... It's room 1408. Oh, that's a fun movie. It's It's a a really fun movie, actually.
1: Okay, yeah, I guess it counts. Uh, It's it's... it's one of
0: those movies where I'm giving it, like... Because, again, one of my criteria is that are you rising to the challenge Mm -hmm. of telling a story within a confined space? And the premise of 1408, it's based on a short story by Stephen King. uh, And Stephen King, who had already done a haunted hotel story in The Shining, and he was using this other haunted hotel story... In uh, one of his books, it's like a writing exercise. He wrote some of it to illustrate, like I think, how editing books works. Uh, but then he elaborated on it, and he released the whole thing. It is about a guy who... Uh, it's about a writer. Guess what? <laughs> in the Stephen Ooh. King story? Are you kidding me? Is he also an alcoholic? Yeah, I didn't actually mean to do two Stephen Kings, but fair enough. Um, it's about a writer, and what he specializes in is he specializes in writing about haunted hotels. Mm -hmm. Which is an actual thing. We've already talked about it with the innkeepers. People go to places that allegedly have supernatural histories. And it's a form of... It's it's kind of grim, but it's a form of tourism. Uh, He's written about haunted hotels for years. And he's never encountered one that actually seemed haunted. And he's told to go to a place called the Dolphin Hotel... He's uh, played by John Cusack in the movie. The concierge at the uh, hotel is played by Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, and he says, uh, you don't want to stay in room 1408. <laughs> uh, yes, I do. That's that's my job. Uh, no, you don't. Uh, the maids can't handle it for more than a couple of minutes. Like, we just don't, we just don't rent that one out. <laughs> and he's like, well, I'm going to do it. And so he's going to spend the night in room 1408. And it's an entire haunted house movie. In a hotel room In one room, yeah And at first, it's kind of subtle Things may be moving around Maybe I'm looking out the window Seems like something kind of scary is out there But okay By the end of the movie The entire place has been fucking wrecked <laughs> Possibly by supernatural means it, The whole environment is dramatically transformed It is a kind of like a really exciting whirling dervish of a gimmick film where we're going to take something that should be small and intimate, and we're going to see how gigantic we can make it in a confined space. A lot of this falls on John Cusack, who's a really sort of sympathetic actor. He plays Sad Sacks a lot. And so we're kind of on board with this guy. We want him to succeed. We want him to get over his baggage. And yet he's kind of inviting it on himself by not heeding the warnings about the supernatural. It's a classic horror cliche. Um, there's a lot of haunted house movies out there. A lot of them play with the same tropes over and over again. And a lot of them are really, really good, but a lot of them, as we already mentioned in the evil dead, when we talk about evil dead too, they, they kind of create this cavernous idea of the haunted space. You'll see this in movies Mm -hmm. like the changeling or Robert Wise's, the haunting, uh, yeah, what, what, what if it was, like, really tiny? <laughs> what if it was just a really tiny haunted place? Could you make that scary? And the answer is, yeah. Is it, like, a movie that's going to cause you to lose a lot of sleep? No, but it's a really great popcorn spiller of a movie. It's got a lot of great jump scares. It's just It makes the most out of a concept that is very specifically a challenge to the filmmaker. And I think it rises to meet that challenge, and I think it's really, really cool. So uh, there's a couple of films on my list that are maybe not the greatest, most meaningful movie ever, but they rose to the challenge of the single location thriller. And that's why Um, this one's on my list.
1: 1408 is great. I feel like it strains a bit. Uh, There's a few few moments where it's like, okay, you're clearly trying to pad this out. Like you're inventing (laughs) new kind of weird ghostly dimension shifts just to like sort of make get another 15 minutes out of this movie and i and i admire and, uh, him for getting away with it as well as they do they they get away with it pretty well and as it's, well it's, it's you know plenty scary as well i think yeah. there's some good good scary moments in it um samuel l jackson is there okay yeah <laughs> he's, he's the he's, col- he's, yeah. he's the,
0: the hotel guy yeah He's basically there to just give the exposition dump at the beginning. Yeah. And he's great. He knows mm. how to do that. That's the art of the exposition dump is something that they need to teach actors in schools. Mm. Because at some point in your career, you're going to have to explain how this monster works. You're going to have to explain how this time machine works. Mm. And it's going to be information the audience just needs handed to them on a platter so that everyone understands Mm. the rules of this fucking movie. And it's going to be dry as shit. Mm. And the movie you all need to watch if you want to see... the absolute best exposition dump anyone has ever done in a movie JFK Donald Sutherland in JFK (laughs) sits down on a bench explains a conspiracy theory it is the most riveting performance maybe of the whole 1990s It's just an exposition dump. It's hmm. fucking phenomenal acting. Yeah, like, if you can I, make
1: an exposition dump work, you're an amazing actor. I, I really admire actors who show up in, like, action pictures or spy movies who, mm. say, who just say, okay, here's your mission. Yeah. Because that's 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 the whole movie. Yeah. That one scene. That but, explains everything that happens that afterwards. That scene needs to so, work. And it's usually can, not can, a very well-written can, scene. Yeah, can, can we give, like, Ashley Judd yeah. an honorary Oscar? Because I think she's done that in several movies sure. where she just kind of explains the case or is, like, that agent character. Like, nobody, nobody... Diane Lane has done it a bunch. Like the only time like anyone ever actually like respected M
0: in the James Bond movies is when Judy Dench mm. added something to that role. Because usually he just goes into M's office and he tells him things. Yeah. It's boring as shit in Doctor No. Judy Dench brought a tone.
1: Well, she has <laughs> like an attitude about James I Bond. I have an opinion
0: yeah. about you. I'm not just like sort of tolerating you. I'm actually like don't even I respect I kind of you. Hate you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... Sh- Judi dench made exposition work so much that all of a sudden they felt obligated to give her more to do mm. and make her not just an exposition character. It was incredible. Got, got, got kidnapped in one of them, I think. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Two um, of them, I think. <laughs> the world is not oh, enough. Gosh. And then I think... In, oh, in Skyfall as, as well. Well, she's attacked maybe in Skyfall more than kidnapped. Yeah. But like, no, I guess it, so, but, but she's like, part of the plot She's Skyfall, a key part of the plot yeah. in that one,
1: yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, no haunted house pictures. Um... Because I didn't have a lot of horror, thrillers, no, a lot of horror thrillers. I don't.
0: I don't exclusively have horror thrillers, but um, I mostly have horror. Oh, okay, thrillers. I have like
1: three that are right um, now that I look at it. I guess four, I'll, including one. I have lot. all these like really arch pictures. So I'm going to talk about Hiroshi Teshigahara's Woman in the Dunes, if uh, if I might. Ah, uh, you um, might. That's another one I haven't seen. Yeah. You know, oh, you haven't seen Woman in the Dunes no, either. Yeah, I haven't oh, seen anyone gosh. in the Dunes except uh, for uh, like Kyle MacLachlan. Wait, what? Oh, oh Dune. God, I didn't even, it was so bad I didn't even get it. And then, and then once I got it, I didn't want it anymore. Now, um, Woman in the Dunes came out in uh, 1964. It's uh, uh, Hiroshi Teshigahara, who also did, like, Face of Another and a few other uh, really kind of cerebral thrillers. Mm. Uh, the movie is about a, a man who's, he's a, an entomologist. He studies bugs. Mm. And he's down at a beach studying bugs. And he gets so carried away studying bugs uh, that he misses the last bus back home and he has to find a place to stay locally. Uh, there's a house at the bottom of a pit mm. in in the the be- at the beach. Yeah, physically, I'm not sure how that's possible. And in fact, there's a lot. There's this kind of fairy tale quality that the physics don't deliberately don't make sense in this mm. movie. But they say you can climb down this rope and you can stay in this house with a woman who lives in that house. It's it's a little tiny house at the bottom of of this sand right. pit. And he says, "Okay, I'll I'll stay here for the night." And she's kind of weird. Oh. She she talks about sort of her like dead people in her life, and uh, he wonders how she can survive down there. And there's co- the house is constantly filling with sand. You will, like, you'll start to crunch down on sand crystals in the theater while you're watching. Like, it's that, this is a very tactile movie. And in fact, when the characters sort of touch each other, there's shots of skin that that makes you feel like, like you're actually physically touching things. Sure. And, uh, in the morning, the rope is gone and he can't climb up on the side of the sand. Like the, the walls are too steep. Again, that doesn't make sense. You should be able to like dig your way out eventually, and what she does is she takes uh, she fills buckets with sand people come there lift them up uh, with rope yeah. and they use that in concrete and in exchange they lower food down to her and that's how she survives okay that's not a very practical way to live no, but it's i guess if you have this uh, this infinite supply of sand then i guess it's a good way to stay alive mm-hmm. uh but the sand, they even say this in dialogue. The sand she's is by the beach. It's full of salt. It's not good for concrete. Mm. So what's going on here? He's trapped in some kind of weird dreamlike scenario. Yeah. And eventually she just sort of reveals, okay, you know, what's really going on here is you're lured down here because you're my husband now. Oh. Like, oh okay. Wait, what? Now, and you have to have sex with me and that's that. And eventually, like after a couple days... And then after a couple of weeks, he says, well, I guess I'm just trapped here, aren't I? I'm your husband now. He's not happy about that. And he yeah. starts coming up with plans to, like, lure crows to the house so he can tie notes to their legs and, uh, you know, try to get rescued that way. And Yeah. Uh, and it ends in this very bleak, abstract kind of a way as to how, like, the relationship between these two people and where he ends up. Um it's, it feels like a grim fairy tale if there yeah. was no moral and, <laughs> and it was like the original version of grim, of a grim fairy tale that where it was literally grim. Like it was full of like death and yeah. and pain. Imagine if it was about Rapunzel and she never got to like leave the tower or let down her hair. Right. It was Rapunzel. Rapunzel was short hair. She okay. wants to escape and her, she has no plans yeah, and she no evan- means, yeah. eventually just says, you know what? this tower is actually kind of inspiring me and giving me purpose. Being confined has focused me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But not in a positive way. It's kind of driven him, the main character, a little bit mad. Um, More than anything, you're going to remember the tactile qualities. Mm. Uh, You're going to remember the goddamn sand you you will be like trying to empty your shoes at the end of the movie yeah this is Uh, why this is we uh george lucas is probably
0: inspired by this movie
1: anakin said he
0: hates sand
1: why do people slag on that that that's not a terrible speech it is actually it is actually (laughs) he he escaped a desert world he hates Uh, sand it's
0: it's not so much the dialogue itself as his wooden delivery
1: I will agree with you that yeah. Hayden Christensen gives a, a horrendous performance in yeah. those star- performances in both of those Star Wars mm-hmm. movies that he's in. Uh, a lot of people say he's a bad actor. I think he's a natural actor. Uh-huh. I think he's good in the right role. Those aren't it. That's, he's, he's dude, badly directed. Natalie Portman
0: isn't good in those movies either. No. She's an incredible
1: actor. Samuel Jackson's not good in those movies. Yeah. He, pl- he plays yeah m- man who is also a board. <laughs> hey, the, he's the, got a purple the,
0: sword. The, the, oh, sorry, has he's a, purple got a sword. very purple sword. A pr- piece
1: of wood with a purple sword. <laughs> The only interesting character is uh, is the evil emperor. It finally yeah. just gets to like be silly and evil.
0: Well, in any case, I have no movie about yeah. uh, a woman, yeah, see, in, the see, well, see woman yeah.
1: in the dunes. Please see Woman in the Dunes, because it is, is yeah. intense and strange and will, will give you nightmares in the best possible way. Uh,
0: I do have a movie about people being very trapped in something. Okay. Uh, 1408, he, he did that to himself. Mm. But in the movie Cube... Hey, Cube. People wake up. In a cube. In a cube. This is a movie that is very specifically designed to have the cheapest production design they possibly could because the actors, again, are in a cube. At the edge, of, at the wall of all mm-hmm. the cubes, four sides, top and bottom, Uh, there's a door. A little hatch. A little hatch. And in floor, ceiling, and all four walls, yeah. And when they open the hatch, the hatch leads to another cube, identical except a lot of them are different colors. Like there's, there's like, like light shining the, through the, the lighting in the
1: walls is a yeah. slightly different. It's like color. one is
0: blue, one is green, one is red. They don't know why they're in there. A bunch of people woke up. They don't know each other. They just know that they're trapped in a cube. There's nothing here. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink. They don't know if anyone's coming for them. They just know that they got to do something. So Mm. they start exploring the cube. And what they discover is that some of the cubes have death traps in them. (laughs) Booby trapped. (laughs) And uh, determining which cube has a booby trap has something to do with the numbers that are engraved on the door to each hatch, Mm.
1: which gives them a puzzle to solve. And they they make their way to a hatch. They open it up and it opens into blackness. And then they close it. It's like, what is that? It's just a big, empty space out there. That's a terrifying then, thought. What the hell is that mean? And then mean? they hear a noise, and they open the, the hatch again, and now there's a room there. So they've figured out, not only are there numbers, but these they're cubes moving. are moving around them. Because
0: they figure if they just go in a straight line, eventually they're going to hit something, right? Not edge, necessarily, because yeah. every so often the cubes move. This is... A brilliant concept for a very low-budget sci-fi movie. Yeah, like a staggeringly low-budget sci-fi movie. Let me
1: look up what the budget was on. I'd be very because, curious yeah, actually because it
0: could not have been much. It's, There's it's good cana- actors yeah, in it. There's some um, CGI for like the the death traps. Not it's not a lot. Um, it's making so much out of so very little.
1: Yeah, it's a Canadian film. It, yeah, was, made made for, it was made for it's made for three hundred and fifty thousand Canadian dollars. Yes. Yeah.
0: And here's the thing. You, you, it doesn't need to be made for any more than that. It looks good. It's acted well. I've, I think it's Vincenzo Natali directed Vincenzo I, He directed the shit out of that movie. Mm-hmm. Really, really good filmmaker. I like Vincenzo Natale a lot. Uh, I, he did another movie I quite like that's also about a confined space called Haunter.
1: I didn't see Haunter. Which is
0: uh, Abigail um, Breslin uh, is living in a house with her family. And she goes through an entire day. And... She wakes up and she's reliving that day. But this isn't like, oh, what's happening to me? She's been doing this for as long as she can remember, and what the title implies is that they're haunting this house, and they're forced to relive the last day of their lives over and over again. And she is trying to solve the puzzle of mm. how we can break out of this loop and maybe Ooh, move on. That sounds fun. Yeah. It's a great premise. <laughs> it's genuinely creepy. It's really underseen. Like nobody, I saw this at like, I think I saw this at South by Southwest like 10 years ago. Nobody gave a shit. It's good. It's not as novel as Cube because it's going off of some more familiar tropes that you may have seen in other things. But it's really, really good. It'd be a great double feature with this. Um, But yeah, Cube. It's one of those movies where the concept is so high that there's no satisfying explanation for it. Mm. There's stuff we find out and stuff that is hinted at about the origin of the cube and why they're there, but there are no straight answers. Yeah, the sequels started to give more answers. I didn't see Cube Zero, which I heard was pretty good. I did see Cube Two Hypercube, <laughs> which is an actual isn't that, thing. is not
1: like a time travel conceit. To that, it yeah, is it's like, like the
0: idea of the, the idea of Cube Two is that the cube is. You know, sort of like it's not just a cube; it's like a theoretical shape that can't actually exist okay. in real space. And as a result, when you move between cubes, you're also moving in time. Okay, and you can like lose track of someone and then go back into the cube and, and they're died older. Of old age, yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is creepy, and they, it works pretty good, but it's oh. not amazing. It's it's got kind of its head up its own butt that one. But the first cube is just a rock solid smartly conceived excellently acted very tense and suspenseful
1: claustrophobic sci-fi thriller yeah i i I dig cube um i i saw it in theaters when it came out i was i was in college yeah um yeah and and you can tell from the start that it was constructed to be low budget that's fine it's great things you don't need more than that and it doesn't uh I saw uh, Vincenzo Natale's movie Splice... Yeah, that's a good one. It's a good like which, modern which, Frankenstein yeah, good, vibe. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. it's these rock and roll scientists. use like uh, Sarah Polly and uh, Adrian, Adrian Brody, and, and yeah. they uh, they use yeah. their own DNA to create new life, and they, it's they like create an, it animal weird. human hybrid thing yeah. that like is really kind of really terrifying. Yeah, it's really great. That's a good movie. And they're torn because they love it, but it's terrifying. It's, but it's a, yeah, it's, it's kind it's, of a monster. Because one of the tragedies of Frankenstein
0: is that Dr. Frankenstein rejected the monster. What if he didn't? Mm. And what if it still got fucked up?
1: Yeah. That splice—it's really great. So yeah, I like the James O'Bataly a lot. He's an appreciated filmmaker. Let's see here. Uh, how about this? Isn't really um, you know. I'd also like to talk about yes. Uh Siming Liang's the hole. Okay. You see, you ever see the hole? Uh, I saw Joe Dante's the hole. Is it the same thing? No. Well, then I haven't. <laughs> because I didn't say it was Dirt of Days the Hole. I, said, I mentioned a different movie entirely. It just happened to have the same title. Um, the whole was part of this uh, international film project mm. uh, where a bunch of directors were asked to make movies about the end of the millennium. What What's going to happen mm. when we flip over from 1999 to 2000? Right. And if you were there at the time... There was a lot of, like, fear, but more than anything, just angst mm-hmm. about being at the end of the millennium. Yeah. Uh, this is a new beginning, mm-hmm. and it gave, gave us a chance to sort of take stock of where we've been and kind of get a little depressed about it.
0: It's interesting. Like, it felt like everyone was on the verge of, like, an existential crisis about, like, a whole thousand years have passed. What the hell does that mean? Yeah. And then we cl- we ticked over into January 1st, and by January 2nd, we'd all moved on. <laughs> it felt well, like but, everyone kind of just walked away well, from it. Wasn't it
1: wasn't about the end anymore. That was yeah. Now Now things have started, and we just have to go to work the next day, and that I was Part of the depressive angst. It's like we probably yeah. nothing's probably going to happen. Uh, yeah. I know there was a second where you know the the Y two K fear, where yeah. a lot of computers were designed to only have two uh, two digits in like their internal clocks for the year, yeah. and when it would click over to zero zero for the computer, they would think it was like. Year zero, and then yeah. like everything would reboot. And it would like think people t- were afraid. Information would was, get yeah.
0: lost. Cor- uh, systems would get uh, uh, corrupted. Apparently, it was a legitimate concern, but we fixed it. So yeah, you know, who cares? Saw it, it, it worked out. I fixed it. So. It worked out. Yeah, we we treated it um, like a real thing. Imagine now, and there would be like half of the politicians and and hmm. would be like saying, "Don't fix it." Hmm. We like it that way. Yeah, You're corrupt if you want to fix we're, a problem.
1: We're, we're going to do as much work as we possibly can to not do any work whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's it's that that's the new philosophy. Um, but the whole is interesting because it's about millennial angst, but it's also very much about the pandemic. We just you know, kind of okay. all the lockdowns we just sort of uh, went through because it takes place like a year in the future. Yeah, it's made in 898. It's set in 99. And a disease has ravaged Taiwan, uh, where people are now afraid to leave their homes. They, they're they're like, they're like mushrooms Mm. or, or mice. Like they have to seek like enclosed dark places and people just want to hide in there the entire Mm. time. And nobody knows what's causing this disease. Uh, it's a it's a Tsai Ming lang film, so the interiors are always flooding. That's mm. that seems to be a m- motif with Weird. with his movies, where uh, you go into like a basement room and there's just like two inches of water underneath. It, flooded interiors are a big big sort of motif with him, uh, and we kind of explore this very industrial looking space, and explore the, each of the uh, apartments in this little teeny apartment building that's you know flooding and and angular and aesthetically displeasing. Yeah. It's not built to look, like, interesting or quirky. Uh, And we go, like, from apartment to apartment and just sort of see people hiding. And we meet this one guy, and there's some maintenance going on in his apartment, and they have to sort of bore a hole through his floor, which, of course, goes into the ceiling of the apartment below him, where uh, a young woman is hoarding toilet paper. Okay. And they hate what they hear through the hole. Like they're waking each other up at odd hours. He's sticking his leg through it and that kind of grosses her out. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's weird odors sort of seeping through the hole that they really kind of resent. But timing Lang is clearly making a movie about how, although we as human beings tend to, especially when we're in maybe a, a depressed state mm. or just when we feel like we're in a rut we tend to hold up, don't we? Yeah. Tend to hide. That's, yeah. that's our instinct. We want to be kind of alone and, and confined and mm. sort of like a womb-like experience that we're trying yeah. to create for ourselves. Yeah, we're trying to, we're um, trying to protect ourselves, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. We have that, but it's important and f- as a species mm. to connect, to reach out of that occasionally, to leave, to uh, leave the comfort, to you know, have a hole punctured through that comfort zone, and reach through and find another person on the other side. Somebody who might be going through something really similar, and so the movie is about this strange relationship that the man and the woman develop uh, via the hole in the floor or or her ceiling. Mm. Uh, it's also a musical. Oh, good. But they don't. <laughs> the two characters don't sing though. There's just like like a. Just like a dance number yeah. in the middle of it. Um, I'm very fond of Simon Lang. You—that That uh, is very I've, clear. You've I've talked about Simon Lang a lot. Uh, Goodbye, Dragon Inn is one of the best movies ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made a movie, uh, was it last year or the year before, called Days. Uh, he's v- very fond of uh, what you might call slow cinema. Days has a seven-minute shot right at the start of a guy sitting in a chair looking at the rain. Mm. It's a static shot. He doesn't move. We just see the rain. And we listen to that for seven straight minutes. That's part of the movie. If you can slow your heart rate a little bit and fall into that slowed rhythm, you'll find a, a rather exhilarating experience. <clears throat> there's a little bit of that slowness to something like The Hole. The Hole might be like his most incidental movie. Mm. <laughs> like there's a lot going on in The Hole. And... Uh, but at the same time, it is very much about being confined. It's very much about uh, the instincts we have to confine ourselves. It's not about being trapped. It's about hiding. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like well, you know these conversations we're having about being sort of in one location are about being stuck in one location. Whereas, uh, and that kind of stands counter to who we are as people, doesn't it? We don't want to be stuck in one location. We want to move around. We want to yeah. leave. We want to go out into the world. Um, you know, the, the people who are afraid to go out are typically called agoraphobes. It's, it's yeah. seen as a pathology. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like the whole is something that's tapping into almost a contradiction in ourselves because we want to we want to stay hidden, but we also want to reach out. And I yeah. think this movie is good about having it both ways.
0: That's cool, man. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I realize that my, my, my list is a little
0: top-heavy with thrillers.
1: Uh, you've mentioned I, I've, that. have th- got thriller, a lot of thrillers. thrillers and horror movies. I, yeah, and that's,
0: and that's just honestly, just if I'm being honest,
1: mm.
0: how I think. I tend to, <laughs> I love horror movies and I love thrillers. Uh, but I swear to God, they're not all thrillers. I started off with Locke, and I've decided it's time to break it up a bit and to do something that I don't think... There's only one other movie I think we've done so far that actually fits this description. Uh, a comedy Okay. You know, claustrophobia tends to lead to uh, anxiety and paranoia. Uh, However, uh, in a comedy, uh, being trapped in a place with people uh, can be frustrating in an entirely more amusing way. In Peter Bogdanovich's Noises Off... (laughs) Yay! This is on my list as well. Oh, good! (laughs) So glad we we finally had an overlap.
1: one, One overlap.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Peter Python noise Noises Off, which is one of the funniest movies of the 90s, and also one that people don't talk about as often. Mm. Like, I feel like if you were of an age where this was on HBO constantly, <laughs> like, you would just wake up in the morning and it would be on at 8 a.m. in the morning. Like, I've s- probably seen this movie piecemeal d- two dozen times. Right. I've probably only seen it from beginning to end twice. <laughs> but, by God... Do I love the movie Noises Off? Noises Off is based on a play, uh, and the premise of the play is that we're watching the dress rehearsal of the play.
1: Yeah. Which is a great, fun premise. Yeah, so... if you're in a live theater watching mm. Noises Off, you'd be watching, yeah, sort of the how badly the dress rehearsal is going yeah. before it, the show actually goes on. There's and,
0: the, there's an old saying in theater that like the the worse the dress rehearsal goes, the better the play,
1: which they repeat in Noises
0: Off because yeah. the
1: dress rehearsal is going very badly, it's spectacularly the, badly. The, the play that the players in the Mm. film are putting on is like a bedroom farce
0: yeah everyone is like going to like a whole bunch of people are going to a cabin to have a sexy weekend with someone that they've brought to the cabin and none of them realize the other ones are there through a series of bizarre imaginations and various things keep moving around like i put my bag down here but oh someone else has a similar bag so they took that bag and now someone has a bag and it's all Mm. very what's up doc yeah um
1: Also Bogdanovich. Also Bogdanovich.
0: It's a very elaborate farce that they are trying to put on. And because it is an elaborate farce, there's a million things that can go wrong. Partly just to practicality. And partly because everyone in the cast is a silly head. (laughs) Uh, It's got a great cast. Well, they're they're
1: all actors i know they're
0: all actors and they all have silly uh uh uh, persona Uh, michael Caine plays the director he's the one who is ostensibly the sanest person in the room and he is just desperately trying to keep this on track while people like christopher reeve playing like the hunk actor who's like trying to like make it legit in the stage uh all of a sudden doesn't know what his character's motivation is At the dress rehearsal (laughs) And now I have to stop everything And explain the play to you Um, People like lose their contacts In the middle Mm. of everything And everyone has to find the contact Little things like this One Um, of the actors
1: is an alcoholic But you know in that funny movie kind of a way Where he's just sort of unreliable Check out this
0: cast It's Michael Caine Carol Burnett Denholm Elliott In what I think was his last role John Ritter Christopher Reeve Nicolette Sheridan Marilu Henner Julie Haggerty. Holy shit. Mm. That is a dynamite ensemble. And and they're all on. They're all all
1: 100% on.
0: They're they're totally killing it this entire time. So, like, the first half of the movie is we see the dress rehearsal, and the second half is, like, them actually putting on the show when things happen behind the scenes, and Mm. people are running around and trying to get to the stage at the right time, and it's all very manic. Um, I feel like we've lost the exquisitely tightly crafted comedy where mm. every line is a banger and it feels like it's been like workshopped and rehearsed within an inch of its life so uh-huh. that everything about the comedy is perfect that's something that we would get on the stage That's you know that kind of bedroom farce you know everyone's slamming doors at just the right time there are very few of those now
1: <laughs> and Noise's yeah, off is it's... one of the
0: best ever
1: And I feel like even when Noises Off came out, uh, that kind of comedy was out of fashion. Yeah, it wasn't a big hit when This this was... um, I'm trying to think, like it was all high concept comedy hits at the time. No, and, we, uh, we were in like the Home Alone era. There was a whole, lot of there was John a, Hughes. a lot of John and, Hughes stuff. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of like romantic comedies mm-hmm. that were big at the time. A lot, and was a also, lot of like, Saturday Night Live type farces. But, but I'm thinking of like the early 90s and like a lot of the movies I watched at the time were yeah. uh, sort of high concept magical things like, yeah. uh, like uh, Delirious with John Candy. Sure. A, a, a soap opera writer who w- wakes up inside the soap opera and can write episodes from within. Yeah. Uh, something like Mr. Destiny with mm. Jim Belushi where, uh, and Michael Caine and also with Michael Caine yeah, yeah. Where, uh, there, there were other films like uh, Noises Off, something like Blame It on the Bellboy which oh, is another which, sort which of is, big ensemble farce so I, I watched it a bunch I was also I think I, I think I was just very fond of John Candy at the time I watched, I watched, Was, was John crumbling. Candy Blame it on the Bellboy? Yeah, he was Okay, I just, I, re- and I just remember so, Dudley Moore and right. so, so was Jim Belushi in fact Oh my god Really? Wow, I haven't seen or or forever. no wait, I'm confusing that with Once Upon a Crime. There's oh, uh there's a lot of a lot of those guns. Remember movies. Madhouse
0: with John Larroquette? Oh, I, I remember and, that and one. they yeah. keep getting family guests and they're like, mm. "Oh god." What was <laughs> that what was that one with <laughs> These oh, are, oh, shit. These, are, these were my jam back when I was like What was that 12? one with Jeff Daniels where everyone was trying to get at like buried treasure in the basement of a house? With Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels yeah Daniels, Jeff she... Daniels played like The main guy in it And like a whole bunch of Criminals were trying to get Like the Treasure the, uh... But the treasure was like Stolen money It wasn't yeah. like, like Pirate treasure I, I don't remember that one I will yeah. figure that out In a minute you know. <laughs> like, Who was in Blaming on the bell? But <laughs> Dudley Moore Brian Brown Richard Richard Griffiths I don't think John Candy Was in It on the Bellboy Okay
1: yeah I, 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 I can conf- see why you think I was, was confusing it For Once Upon a Crime That's the one with John Candy and Jim Belushi I think you're correct yes but I also saw "Blame It on the Bellboy," okay. a lot. and that, that was that, that was my jam. But that that those kinds of farces were around. Uh, Mel Smith directed a film called "The Radioland Murders." That was a Lucas film. Uh, that movie's underrated. That one's pretty funny. It's it, it's energetic to the point of exhaustion. Like oh, it is, oh, it says it's, oh, it, oh, it it's welcome. Super but it's frenetic. Pretty good and, for a while, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the, that sort of, like, high-concept comedy was, like, in vogue, but I think by the time Noises Off came out, it was falling away. It was giving away to things, well, things like Clerks, really, uh, like much yeah. more talky uh, comedy films. Uh, and, but, and, and More, and then more, then, more
0: conversational, because Noises Off is very talky, but it's more well, that's, what I mean. that's what I meant, but concept. I said
1: talky, conversational kinds of yeah. films, and also... Uh, we were only a few years away from like the gross out wave of like the Farrelly oh, brothers stuff. Yeah, which, Dumb and Dumber really brought yeah, d- that. Dumb and Dumber out. cracked that open And yeah. you know, for for a, f- a few preciously disgusting years. <laughs> uh, there were a lot of bodily fluids in our comedy. Films. There goes the neighborhood. That
0: was the Jeff Daniels film I was thinking the, of. I there's a whole I bunch of prison escapees who try to like steal money from the bottom of a house. And Jeff Daniels is there. Is it like
1: Assault on Precinct Thirteen where he has to <laughs> shoot them? No, no. It's it's a suburban comedy. I think Judy uh-huh. Davis is
0: in it. Who else is in this movie? Thing. Hold on, a second. this is gonna drive me out. It's like, oh my God, it's one of those movies where when they like describe the cast, everyone has like a two paragraphs describing their character. <laughs> Jeff Daniels, <laughs> Catherine O'Hara, Hector Elizondo, Rhea Perlman, Judith Ivy, Harris Yulin, Jonathan Banks, mm. Dabney Coleman. It's a good cast. Chaz Palminteri. Yeah, Jeremy Piven back when that was not a bad thing. It's a, it's like,
1: a who, who's who of hey that guy.
0: <laughs> that's actually a good line. You should write that down. Anyway, <laughs> right, noises off is really, 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 really fucking funny. Mm-hmm. Let's move
1: on. Uh, okay, um, I love noises off as well. Yeah, uh, and that's that's mine. That uh, was on my list as well. So uh, okay. Well, I guess that actually I, should I take you, the next one. Okay, yeah, so you get you you get another one.
0: Okay, uh, I try to avoid movies that we've talked about a lot, but as you run down the list, you, there's a few yeah, that are just so damn good. Down, yeah. We're at a point now where I think all but one of mine are like probably a little on the obvious side, but they're just that good. Uh, and I'll start us off with Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. I, I figured you choose either
1: Rope or Rear Window.
0: Yeah, I, I, I wanted <laughs> Rear Window, but I've talked about Rear Window a lot lately, and right. I've talked about Rope less. They both deserve it. Like if I could give a tie and I think it'd be cheating to do so. I would. Rear window all takes place inside James Stewart's apartment as he is like being a voyeur and looking at his neighbors and living vicariously through them. And he begins Mm. to suspect one of them's a murder, uh, a murderer. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, like top 10 period. I love it. Um, Rope is used to be like the black sheep of Alfred Hitchcock's filmography. It's like mm. one of those little experimental films that, like, he was like playing with the form, and people kind of respected him for trying, but it didn't get a lot of like actual critical appreciation. And I think in the last ten to twenty years, Rope has risen from cult favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie to one of his classics. Mm. Uh, it is a story based on. Uh, the real life and absolutely tragic uh, uh, murders of Leopold and Loeb, who were two guys who just decided to commit a murder to see if they could. That was it. And this, the idea... The, the intellectual thrill yeah. they got. And the idea that people would commit a murder, not for money, not for land, not to like, you know, steal, you know, kill someone's husband so that you could marry their wife, you know, that kind of thing. But just for the sheer act of killing mm. was so perverse that it really stuck in the culture. People talked about it for many, many years, and a lot of movies have been made directly or indirectly about Leopold and Loeb. Yeah. And The Rope is is indirectly. It's not literally about them, but it's inspired by that idea. Uh, and it stars... Oh, wait, it's who's the other guy? It's Farley Granger mm. and... Um,
1: Oh, God. God, I would have said it if you had just asked I me. I know, goddamn it! Hold mm. on, it's Farley Granger and the other guy, <laughs> and, um, and the other guy. Yeah, you know that other guy, John Dahl. John Dahl. I knew he. Had,
0: I knew it was an actor who had the same name as a director. It was John mm. Dahl. Spelled differently, but uh, Farley Granger and John Dahl. Uh, they're college students. Um, they have a friend, and at the in the very first moment of the movie, there's like the credits are like looking out over the streets of like New York, and then the camera moves into. An apartment. And inside the apartment, a guy's already getting murdered. Second shot in the movie. Uh, they choke him to death with a with a rope. And then they put his body in a big chest. And what we quickly discover is that they're having a fancy party in a few minutes. And they've decided to kill a guy just before that and to hide the body in plain sight. They put a tablecloth um. over the box with the body. And they serve food to people at this party Who knew that guy and think he's showing up today, including his girlfriend, the guy who has a crush on his girlfriend, the dead guy's parents. It's gruesome.
1: And and Jimmy Stewart. And James Stewart. Who who is the one who gets a little suspicious.
0: James Stewart, who, you know, had, had... Been a heartthrob. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Everyone loved him. Playing here a really dark character for this time in in James Stewart's career. Uh, He plays a professor, a college professor, who, as an intellectual exercise, encouraged his students, the murderers in question, to consider the possibility that maybe murder can be moral. Justified.
1: Morally permitted, yeah. Yeah,
0: like, if you are a great person, surely you should have uh, uh, the right to kill a not great person. Not a bad person. Just someone who you consider worthless.
1: Mm.
0: It's pure fucking fascism. Like, the most evil fucking thing. But he was considering it as an intellectual exercise. And he has, without realizing it, inspired these two to commit murder. And... As John Dahl, who's the cockier of the two And Farley Granger is like Increasingly on the verge of a panic attack As he like, as John Dahl does things Like call attention to the fact that this guy isn't here And oh, you know that rope we strangled him with Well, I'm gonna wrap up some books And give them to his dad as a present Like, holy shit, dude John Dahl's having the time of his life And he's teasing it And Jimmy Stewart starts to realize Did they did, Did they kill somebody? Did they actually do that? no oh, yeah. but did they and it's just this like kind of game of intellectual like ideological cat and mouse hmm. and it, it's um it's based
1: on a play from what i understand
0: yeah it's based uh, on a play. it's uh hume cronin did i think the adaptation yeah, which is pretty cool and,
1: um and uh and hitchcock decided to do his little experiment where he wanted yeah. to make it all look like a single take yeah uh now film cameras at the time could only carry so much film yeah you can only shot shoot so much before the reel ran out so uh you couldn't do a
0: feature-length you you couldn't do a feature-length
1: movie at the time so uh he did have to hide numerous edits so it like like, zooms into somebody's back and that goes the camera goes black for a second
0: yeah it's not altogether convincing most of the time Mm. but it's it's cool that he tried yeah you know um it was, I think it was his first film in Technicolor, so it's, like, it's an interesting choice because it's such a confined film, yeah. but it's well, really cool because it takes place like at like sunset and the lighting gradually
1: changes through the window. I, I don't know what Hitchcock thought of like film technology, hmm. like cameras and lenses and that sorts of thing, because he, he did, like, I'm going to shoot in color into this gimmicky film for hmm. Rope but I'm going to set it in one place. Yeah. Uh, He did the same (laughs) thing with dial for murder. I'm going to shoot this thing in 3d. What are you going to shoot in 3d? A A living room. Yeah, I know it's ridiculous. Why? (laughs) I I think he found that
0: impish. He had a sense of humor that guy. Yeah. I'm
1: going to use the the latest
0: camera technology and shoot nothing. Yeah. I think, I think he looked at cinema oftentimes as a series of little jokes he's playing on the audience. Hmm. Um, the techniques that he used for Rope, right, he also used in a movie that's its not one location, but it's really good, and it's easily his most underrated movie, if you ask me. It's called Under Capricorn, uh, hmm. which is a period piece uh, about Australia at a time when it was still considered to be like a place full of criminals. That's where like Britain would send their criminals. Um, but people were free to make their own lives. And so it's about a young man who goes to Australia and finds himself wrapped up in this very tragic, kind of gothic uh, misery uh, between Joseph Cotton and Ingrid Bergman. And they're married, and she's racked with guilt over something. Mm. And she's become kind of the shame of the family, and he's trying to, like, elevate their standing, and she's, you know, it's it's like almost like an origin story for um, um, Jane Eyre, the woman in Jane mm. Eyre. Um, but he shoots a lot of that movie in one extended take. Okay. But he doesn't try to hide it. He just shoots a lot of the movie in extended takes. And it works really, really great. Ingrid Bergman is as good as Ingrid Bergman has ever been in that film, which is to say one of the best actors ever. So a lot of people look down on that movie, and it's actually kind of like hard to find. I can't remember the last time it was ever released on home video. But if you get a chance to see it, deeply underrated. Like, really quite good.
1: Um, so it's good, and it's of a piece with rope, which is why I bring it up. Anyway, moving on. Okay, um... Uh, the, these are my runners-up. Uh, I I chose Rope. I also put Rear Window on my runners-up. Um, okay. I figured you'd choose at least one of them. So <laughs> no 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 you know you. you know me well. Yeah. I
0: I've sus- I I suspect two of my remaining films are probably on your list. Uh,
1: maybe, at least one. Maybe. I'd be uh, shocked if at least one wasn't. Uh, well, one of the ones I'm going to talk about is My Dinner with Andre. That was uh, one of them. Okay, okay go, go. <laughs> So we both got My Dinner with Andre. <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, uh, Louis Malle's uh, film from nineteen eighty one uh, and eighty eighty one. It was eighty one, around there. And it's about uh, Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn playing versions of themselves, kind yeah. of. Uh, they're playing characters named Wally and Andre, anyway. Yeah, but they're not telling their own life stories. No, uh, it's
0: it's it's fictionalized, hmm. but. You're supposed I, to identify with them
1: as the performers, so. yeah. And uh, and they're at a nice restaurant in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't seen each other in a couple of years, and they're going to catch up at a dinner at this restaurant. And, and the they movie, weren't even never that close. They That's they were they were yeah. they worked together in theater like yeah. several years before. Yeah. And the Andre Gregory character went on this like sort of spiritual sabbatical. He left the country and he talks about working with, like, gurus and, and you know... Experimental uh, theater in the woods. Yeah, do, doing experimental like, yeah. theater and all these, like, spiritual, very, mystical exercises. and it very, is very, A lot of pretentious crap, honestly. Well, A lot of pretentious crap, but clearly he believes it, that he yeah. actually had this kind of transcendent experience. And uh, Wally, the Wallace John character, mm. comes back with, well, all of that is well and good, and I see that you've gone through this experience, mm. but... You know, when it comes to the things I take pleasure from, the things that I can kind of find catharsis mm-hmm. with, it's just having a nice cup of coffee in the morning. Yeah, it's having an electric uh, you know, blanket when it's cold. Yeah, the electric blanket. It yeah. kind of kind of I love my electric blanket
0: because it's easy to. You can reduce the entire movie my dinner with Andre, which, mm-hmm. with the exception of an opening where Wallace Shawn goes to have my dinner with Andre,
1: and then he takes a cab, and then he takes a cab on, the,
0: the, way a cab on the way home. Like ninety eight percent of the movie
1: mm-hmm.
0: is the dinner. With Andre, yeah it, um and it is just a extended conversation about a variety of topics and you can very quickly boil it down to like one thing if you wanted to because what what did you just describe? Andre ha- has the capacity to have that kind of, you know world traveling sabbatical because Andre has money
1: yeah and while yeah, Sean looks- does
0: not mm. he's he's struggling to get by and he has to make do with life's smaller pleasures. he has to seek his spiritual catharsis in what he Local, can, locally. Locally, yeah. in what he can find because these are not opportunities that are available to him and they're trying to engage with each other's ideas and this is something that a lot of conversations sadly in real life but also in movies aren't really about, which is people not just telling each other stuff or trying to shout each other down mm. or trying to assert their dominance, but actually engage with what the other person is saying. Consider it Talk it out yeah. Expand upon it You Present your own idea That person deeply considers your idea This is the way I want people to
1: talk <laughs> I don't necessarily want you
0: to be elitist fucks But I do want you to talk In a way that is actually listening to each other mm-hmm. And open To the ideas the other person is having At least provided that that person isn't You know yeah, yeah. A bigot or something like that Then you can you know, rejected yeah, it, but like you know it, it, it's, it's if someone about, just
1: feels differently about like what what is a spiritual catharsis we can have a conversation and it's it's um and it all comes down to just listening that's, yeah. that's not something that happens a lot in movies people listen it's always you know events describing yeah. the plot you yeah. uh, yeah. know got to keep this thing moving uh, a, a great advice a, a piece of advice i i feel like i can comfortably give to people who are uh, going to engage in interviews Mm. Uh, if you're ever going to do one professionally or if you're just going to talk to somebody yeah if you're going go to go do a job interview listen yeah. as much as you talk yeah. and uh i i used to go into interviews with lists of questions i was gonna ask, and i just ran them down yeah and i filled that 10 minute span and that's how a lot of people do it and that was the like most boring thing in the world yeah but, and again, it's base information
0: and it's miserable because you and i we have an opportunity to interview people who make movies sometimes mm. and i used to do it a lot yeah um Nothing is worse than when you're transcribing an interview that you've done. Mm-hmm. And you ask someone a question. You have you have a list of questions. But yeah, you want to listen to what they're saying and then ask Follow up questions, and when you're questions
1: based on what they said, yeah,
0: like actually engage with what they're saying and maybe challenge their ideas a little bit in order to get them to say something more interesting than what they probably said have said a million times about it to fifty other journalists that same day. It's so fucking miserable to be transcribing an interview with someone, interesting or not, and to have asked them a question, and then when you're transcribing the interview, you realize they said something very interesting. That they did not elaborate on, that could have been the entire reason why
1: this interview existed,
0: mm. and you
1: didn't ask and, a follow up. You no, know, because you were too you're too married to your list. Yeah, you, you had to just keep on going to, on. Yeah. The, the the
0: editor of the publication told me I had to ask about mm. the Ant Man. Fuck! Why did I have to waste mm. my fucking time talking about Ant Man? There was all this other stuff we were talking about that yeah, was way no. more interesting.
1: I, uh, I, although sometimes that blows up in your face when mm. I uh, interviewed the. Uh, uh, um aqua teen hunger force guys (laughs) okay i mean they're they're determined just to fuck you up so they're they're just there to mess around some people are Some people are just there to have fun so so how do you feel about this movie hey did i tell you about burialinsurance.com what are you talking about
0: you're doing a bit i'm actually trying to have an interview yeah it's the thing yeah they're they're trying trying to do do. they're trying to do
1: a bit yeah but that's the brand they're trying to my dinner with Andre was a big deal when it came out in the early was 80s, huge. um because it ha- actually did bother to respect conversation. Mm-hmm. It was novel; it takes, you yeah. know, it's just a convers. It's a movie that's just a conversation. Yeah. Louis Malle manages to shoot it and make it look really dynamic. Yeah, and it's never boring. Get to know a little yeah. bit about the restaurant. It's uh, not just I, like one static shot yeah, of yeah, them we,
0: talking. Um, it's a, you know the movie.
1: Yeah, and and it is about presenting a lot of interesting ideas and then presenting a the counterpoint to those really yeah. interesting ideas. It's not saying one or the other is correct. I feel like Andre Gregor, you've described him as a, a bit of a blowhard and I think, you know, he reads as pompous, but there's going to be people in the audience who are on his wavelength. Sure. Who kind of understand this sort of, I don't think he's a bad person. I just spiritualism. Think he's maybe a little, a, a little yeah. bit bougie, you know, yeah. there you go. And he is, he's definitely a little bit bougie and we're, yeah. uh, Wallace Sean meanwhile, doesn't get like too many takedowns of his sort of creature comforts, but mm-hmm. Andre Gregory does say, "You know, just creature comforts is that—that's the escape. That's sort of like a prison you put yourself in." Mm-hmm. And he's and, got and, a and, point. And, and it's like, well, but I like comforts. Like, well, you shouldn't like comfort, and you know that's sort of like how, where they come to blows a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think neither of them is right or wrong in that situation. Yeah. Just, it's just different viewpoints, and I appreciate that about my dinner with Andre. Yeah. Uh, you and I had a podcast It might even still be on the network is the, We have a few old episodes, episodes? episodes okay. yeah, we, yeah. We, we asked friends of ours to do My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre And they and just watch My Dinner with Andre and yeah. have a conversation And we wanted about. to do yeah, uh, yeah. We, And a lot of our friends were game enough to, uh, to yeah. Participate but in l- that. Listen
0: to the episode that the movie guys did Because they like scripted it
1: oh, They, they went above and beyond right, yeah.
0: They were really fucking funny That mm-hmm. was a really good episode But yeah My Dinner with Andre, it's a great movie And one of the things I love about it is that it rewrites the pacing Mm. that we've come to expect from cinema. So much of the cinema that we expect is using the same kind of grammar. Mm. You know, the same kind of uh, speed and tone. And My Dinner with Andre challenges you to chill out and watch people have a conversation. Mm. And to appreciate how exciting that is. And... It is when people are saying interesting things. Mm. It's the original podcast. <laughs> basically. It's a podcast that in itself is the one of the great mm. movies. Um, I, I dig it It's really a it. great movie I, I, I picked s- it too
1: I saw it when I was a teenager And I, yeah. I don't think I really got it Like I didn't know. Oh it's really one of those movies I can't imagine a teenager about, so. Really But then when I went back In like yeah. my late 30s Oh wait I, I totally get this now like, I, I get think everything think a teenager could
0: appreciate it I don't think a teenager Is going to get it Because yeah. these are The concerns of guys Who are like Already in like Their late 30s And have mm-hmm. very different Perspectives Have a little bit of life experience, you know? Yeah Yeah um, Alright so I got two left
1: um, I think I know... You, you have two left? And I have two left as well. I
0: think I know your number one.
1: Do you think you know my number one? I'm pretty sure I know your number okay. one. So I'm going to go with... Well, I'm, I'm, I was split between my number one and this film. So I, I guess I kind of have two number ones. Well, yeah, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. talk about them both at the same time. That's fine. But you have, yeah. you have, you have two more movies to talk about. I have two more yeah. movies to talk about. Uh, I think my
0: number one might be your number one. So mm. I'm going to hold off. and I'm going to pick the one movie mm. where I was like, is this bullshit? Like, is this, is this wrong? Is this like doing it wrong? But the more I thought about it, the more I remembered it's got to be a tight and closed location. Mm-hmm. And it has to present in its uh, sort of narrow scope uh, challenges to the filmmaker okay. to, to overcome and perhaps add to uh, the, the overall quality of the film by making it distinct.
1: All right, you're not dropping sure any hints here. I'm trying to guess no. what you're going to say. Hmm. Searching. Okay. The John Cho movie. The John Cho. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It takes place entirely on a computer screen,
1: which uh, is is a new kind of emerging genre. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a few a few, of these. A few yeah. movies that um, the
0: uh, the unfriended uh, movies hmm. were like this.
1: The first host, one's okay. Yeah. They're neither of them is unfriended. Good. Host was one of these. Host um, is
0: very good. However, host because it's like so much of a zoom call it's kind of multiple locations at once and i thought that was kind of pushing it but you're looking at, the whole looking time, at a screen yeah. technically looking at a screen but i thought
1: that that was like maybe you could veto that so i decided to stay away from it but host kicks ass host is one of the great lockdown uh, Host, yeah it, it was made during lockdowns like 50 minutes so it's yeah. just in an out. it was made and at the uh, beginning of lockdown too it yeah. was very very quick so, so ab- about a, a and if you rec- recall a lot of the zoom calls or those like video mm-hmm. conference calls had like facial distortion technology like you yeah. could give yourself clown makeup or you know make yourself into a cat and that feature is used to ter- like a terrifying degree yeah when one of those faces appears in space next to somebody it's like <laughs> the computer scanned the ghost's face yeah, that's great that great stuff
0: anyway uh and there are other movies as well that have that have played with this but i don't think any of them has done a good a job as at, at mm-hmm. least in terms of making the most of it Uh, Uh as Searching, which is an incredible motion picture. It's one of my favorites of the year it came out. I think John Cho should have been Oscar-nominated for it, although I've said that (laughs) about several films. I think he should have been Oscar-nominated for uh, Columbus as well. Columbus is awesome. Such a fucking great movie. But that's a movie about going to a whole bunch of different locations. Anyway, Anisha Gonti directed this thing, and um, it uh, stars John Cho as a single father. His wife died, I forget what happened, but... Uh, and since his wife died, he's been estranged from his daughter. Mm. Uh, you know they, they she's younger she they, she still lives in the house, but they don't talk a lot. they haven't really processed their grief together and he, she's a teenager. she's going through a lot of changes. and what he realizes one day when she hasn't come home is that she's missing. And in an attempt to... Track down any sort of clue he can find to where she might be. He goes into her computer and starts looking at all of her accounts, her Mm -hmm. emails, her social media, her other social media, her secret social media. (laughs) And he starts to realize the photo accounts, the financial transactions. Yeah, Yeah. He starts to realize that he didn't know his daughter at all that she was and again it's, it's unclear for a long time and this is part of the mystery so i'm not going to run it um was she into something criminal was she being uh stalked by somebody and maybe that's what's going on uh did she have some sort of inappropriate relationship with an older person who was taking advantage of her this could have been possibility um did she have friends who might know something was she being bullied and we we see john cho like go through all of this material and gradually just lose his entire sense of his life's identity Mm. as he is searching not just for his daughter but also for any sort of semblance of truth any sort of semblance of grounding Uh, the movie has a lot of wonderful gimmicks in terms of how it's actually uses a computer screen something that there's a decent chance you're looking at right now Mm. like if you're not listening to this while you're driving or something you might be like looking at your phone or your laptop or some other computer device. We live on these things. You can spend your entire day on your laptop and doing a million interesting things that are actually useful and productive. It doesn't necessarily mean like, you know what movies is to say like, Oh, they're on the phone all the time. It means they're not connecting with the world. You mm-hmm. are yeah. potentially. Um, I think searching understands that, but it also understands that there is a very realistic possibility That there could be someone in your life who isn't exactly who you thought they were when they're somewhere else. And that somewhere else is online. Mm. It's a great mystery. Uh, It's a great, it's very Hitchcockian in the way that it takes something that is a gimmick, but uses it to not only exact thrills, but to also sort of examine inner turmoil. Hmm. Uh, and I love it
1: pieces. I think it needs to be talked about more. I think it's a modern classic. It, it's really terrific. It yeah. understands the way tech works. Yeah. It understands the way it operates. It also uh, is maybe one of the best edited films I've ever seen. Yeah. It, it, it is uh, so clever in the way it uses the language of modern technology and the use of computers to pace a scene. Yeah. Like, the, the, s- the, the slight pause that it takes, like, a computer to load is actually used for dramatic effect. Yeah. In movies like, in a movie like Searching. Um, yeah. There,
0: uh, did you see the sequel Missing? Or like think, or like a
1: spinoff or something like that? It's spiritual like, like spiritual sequel. I, yeah. I didn't see Missing. I, I no heard else. it was
0: good. I didn't see it. So I can't speak mm. to that. I know someone was asking, hey, what about Missing? I didn't see that one yet. I really do need to because I love Searching so much.
1: Yeah, from what I understand, it's a lot more conventional. Like just scenes oh. of characters in rooms walking around. Bummer. But, yeah. all right. well, but then again, maybe yeah. it's also good. I don't know. I yeah. didn't see it. But Searching is a classic, a modern classic. Please go see it. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a, a montage uh, sort of right close to the end of uh-huh. Searching. Where it looks like the film was zeroing in on like a very specific point about her sort of online life and yeah and the the loneliness and artificiality that it <sighs> naturally begets, and it it becomes very poignant for a few moments, mm-hmm. uh, but it then it kind of remembers that it's a thriller, so it actually has like a much more um, <laughs> like plot cathartic ending where yeah. you're like a like there's actually like events close out the movie. Yeah. I, I would have been satisfied if it had just ended with that montage. Yeah, I get where it. Where, like, it's just sort of a little bit more about, like, bitterness and, like, the black hole mm-hmm. of, of social interaction. It's, it's a have your cake yeah. you eat it too kind of mm-hmm. thing, and I think they get away with it. You know, one of the other
0: things I love about Searching, and I don't want to give away too much, is uh, if you've seen it once, you might want to see it again. Hmm. Because there's a secret story going on. <laughs> if you actually look at all the web pages, all the YouTube channels, oh, and, that, and stuff. all that
1: stuff was scripted too. You oh, talk yeah. to the director and the screenwriters; oh, they all wrote all of that.
0: Stuff. Yeah, there, if you look at like the, the 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 Google searches and all the stuff that Joncho doesn't click on. If you go to like the when he's looking at YouTube pages and it's like recommended videos, there's a whole other story going on, and it's. Kind of a different genre And it's fucking amazing <laughs> And I love that I love that this movie Kind of has a secret movie in it yeah. It's really really cool So if you've seen
1: it before You have now yeah. have an excuse To see it again And go hunting Yeah it's uh, I, I think it is stretching The definition of an, a, a confined space Because <laughs> the screens we see Take us to various locales mm-hmm. Even though it's all Technically on the computer screen On the other hand One could argue that John Cho is looking
0: at All of this in his Daughter's bedroom For the most yeah, part yeah.
1: There's a few bits Where
0: he leaves But mm-hmm.
1: again The
0: majority of the film John Cho in his daughter's bedroom Yeah. Uh,
1: well th- this is a bit of a hard turn
0: okay? Uh, because I'm
1: going to talk about The Passion of Joan of Arc <laughs> which, which is, is also
0: not, a film about Investigating we, a young woman we,
1: we, we, uh, I guess most so <laughs> There you go there's your linking material it's a it's, it's Carl Theodore Dreyer's Cyber thriller <laughs> The Passion of Joan of Arc No this is about Joan of Arc this is about the trial of Joan of... Well, it's the mm. passion of Joan of Arc, isn't it? Um, Joan of Arc has been captured mm-hmm. after uh, uh, the battle in the Hundred Years' War where she was captured. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I don't know Joan of Arc, she was pretty cool. She's pretty cool. That's all you need. Uh, yeah. Well, watch that Luc Besson movie. No, don't watch that <laughs> Luc Besson movie. No, um, no, no, She was a young
0: woman who uh, who said that God had told her to lead the French army a, to, a, to a, war a, against rid, the British.
1: Rid, rid the British of, yeah. from France. And, and
0: people actually went for it and it turns out she was quite good at it and mm. Britain was like, well, fuck that. And when they finally kidnapped her, it ended very badly she's like, for
1: her. I think she was 14 at the time. Yeah. yeah like, she was yeah, yeah, she was young. basically martyred. She was it basically was martyred. Thought, and, yeah. But before she was martyred, she was put on trial. For... Yeah. Uh and there was a lot of corruption in the trial. The judges uh, were, some of them were sympathetic to her, but a lot of them were like pro-English judges. They were, who were like, looking being, for you know, an excuse to execute an enemy of the state. Uh, they, they, they just yeah. wanted to murder a girl, I think. Yeah. Uh, and that's a big part of it as well. Um, there's multiple characters in this movie, but there's really just two. Yeah. There's Joan of Arc, who's played by Maria Falconetti. I think one, it's her only movie only, she ever only did. Only movie she ever did. And one she's one of the great performances, period. Um, and there's, like, this raft of judges, but they kind of, like, mash together in this, mm. like, classical painting kind of a way. There's got these grotesques they are all staring at D- They don't at really, like, um, have,
0: like, a lot of distinct personalities. It's pretty no, much all no. just accusing. Yeah. They're, they're an accusatory presence. And
1: they try all these different things. Like, here's a, f- here's a letter that's clearly forged. But here's a letter, but we know you can't read. So it's this, you have to, you've been betrayed, and she doesn't fall for it. and uh Yeah. This is this was made in. Uh, this is a silent movie. It's made yeah. in the late twenties, and silent movies. Uh, a lot of silent filmmakers, especially in like around the late twenties, were following in, falling into this really wonderful place of rather enormous operatic storytelling these gigantic melodramas. Mm. uh, And there was almost a mythic feeling to a lot of silent films I've seen from this specific era. Mm. And so when Joan of Arc remains kind of beatific, it's not meant to be realistic or grounded. They're supposed to be a holy air about Mm. her. She's meant to feel like a a creature of God. And I feel like Carl Dreyer uh, captures this like almost elevated feeling about Joan of Arc and she's a saint it's okay to do that with a <laughs> yeah, saint you can kind of you've got a
0: built-in justification <laughs> yeah and yeah.
1: so she's being accused and she bravely you know stands up against them and it you know feels you know, lest you feel like you can accuse this film of being corny, is the opposite of that it actually achieves what it sets out to do um it's not just a one location film you're not even sure what that location is because Carl yeah. Dreyer films this almost entirely in like extreme close ups. Yeah. It's like heads and shoulders, pretty much. They're all throughout. It's practically
0: taking place in like this white negative space. Yeah. Um, but uh, the implication is it's a courtroom It's of a courtroom. Some kind. Yeah.
1: And yeah. Uh, you read up about this movie, and and Dreyer tried to like recreate the architecture of the time. You can't tell. No, I mean, you it's can't like tell it's just white walls behind yeah. these characters. Yeah. Uh, he. Dreyer really knew how to do really dreamy movies. Oh, uh, yeah. He did Vampire. Because, yeah, we talked oof. about Vampire recently, and that is one of the best vampire movies. God damn. It, Maybe man. the best vampire I, the When life. I
0: first saw Vampire, I did not get it. I was not ready for that movie. <laughs> when I rewatched it again, I realized this is like it's, the It's first... a fucking nightmare, is it, what it is. It, it, it's if, a dream if you think sequence. A24 horror movies are like new and exciting, mm-hmm. watch Vampire and realize, yeah. oh, shit. Nothing is new. Movies have always been <laughs> amazing. Always been this. Yes. Holy since shit! The, the,
1: since the silent era, yeah. Yeah. oh god yeah. damn that movie! R- yeah. Really seek out Vampire, especially. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're coming up on Halloween. That's a good one for yeah, Halloween. Yeah, it's a great one for Halloween. Yeah. Um, Passion of Joan of Arc is a good one for any time, though, yeah. um, because it really it really captures sort of the the enormity of that story. It captures the uh, uh, moral fortitude. Of the main character, all while just shooting people in close-up. Uh, yeah. the, the actors weren't al- weren't allowed to wear makeup, and the photography uh, and the lighting somehow adds extra. It feels like they add extra texture to their skin somehow. Yeah. Like they they look grittier somehow. There's a... and and that I lends that sort of magic quality. And when Maria Falconetti sort of yeah. like angles her head up and i don't know if they got like pinpoint lights right on her tears yeah but it's like her eyes are shining as god shines through her and of course she is martyred and it's tragic and that's the way the story ends but it is a an elevating experience yeah i don't know why i didn't i don't know why it's actually this one occurred to
0: me and then i was like i don't know should I just make a bad call? And I decided to do so because this is totally on <laughs> This is
1: this is absolutely brilliant. I,
0: I I guess I thought like, is this gonna like open a huge can of worms for like all courtroom movies basically but mm. no this is a very distinct entity and yeah. it is very 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 specific in its place and uh, it's great it's a classic it's mm. one of the great movies for a reason
1: uh and that's an excellent choice oh it came out in 28 it's coming up on a, a uh, an anniversary nice couple of
0: years but yeah we got time um
1: all right we got one I'm movie ready. left
0: did we pick the same movie? Whitney, I'm going to ask you a quick question. How yeah. many angry men are in Why, <laughs> 12 your, of them, Okay, of course, okay. Yeah. We both picked the same movie. Okay, good. That, yeah, because that's my this is, one as well. Sometimes <laughs> the obvious choice is still the right one. Uh. And Sidney Lumet's 12 Angry Men is considered one of the great... Like legal thrillers One of the great Like ensemble acting films And certainly One of the great films That takes place Almost exclusively In one location
1: I would go further And call it One of the great American films uh, I feel like this I is I don't think There's a good Counter-argument th- This is that. kind of like You can argue um, It's placement Like the ranking That's uh, there Just in terms of Its statements About like local civics Yeah, Uh, it's it's like required viewing for all adult American citizens. Really, there there aren't Uh, a
0: lot of movies that I could say that about mm -hmm. like a lot of movies are ostensibly about America and a lot of the ones that specifically try to be flunk hard Mm -hmm. because they're trying to cover too much ground or they're
1: really bitter about what America.
0: But that can be valid, too. And I think that's fine. But like I think a movie like Twelve Angry Men and trying to operate in microcosm ends up being a lot more illuminating. Uh, than a lot of movies that attempt to tell a story against like a grander scope uh, 12 Angry Men is a story about 12 jurors in a murder trial mm. uh, they have been uh, watching this murder trial uh, a young man is accused of stabbing someone I think it was his father, is his uh, father? stabbing his father stabbing yeah. his own father um and uh, these twelve guys, they don't know each other. They've just been watching the trial. Uh, they're just going to sit down at a table and they're going to vote on whether or not this guy should go to jail or be executed. Basically, they don't know which. Uh, a lot of them think this is really cut and dry. Hmm. They There's the a evidence lot of was there. Evidence
1: against the kid. Yeah, again. it seemed
0: it seemed like pretty straightforward, pretty cut and dry. The first thing they do is let's just have a vote. Let's crank this out and be out of here in ten minutes. Uh, who here think they, they they have a ballot? Who here thinks hmm. they were guilty? One guy says they thought he was innocent, or at least that there was reasonable doubt. Juror number eight. Juror number eight. Motherfucking juror number eight. And of course, he's played by Henry Fonda, so he's got the moral <coughs> the moral fortitude of a mm. goddamn legion. Um,
1: at least it wasn't like Gregory Peck. Can oh, you imagine? I mean, Gregory <laughs> Peck. It would have been
0: insufferable if it was somebody yeah, like Gregory Peck. Because Henry Fonda is one of like the great all-time movie heroes. And in the mm. case of Once Upon a Time in the West, one of the great all-time movie villains. But... Um, you can tell he's a villain because he has angry eyebrows in that <laughs> one. <laughs> um, they, they
1: styled up his eyebrows to make him look more evil in that. No, way. that's true.
0: But but he had a vulnerability to him as well. Mm. Like again, you, you want you want you're right. If you want like fortitude, mm. Gregory Peck in To Kill a Mockingbird specifically, but also in like Gentleman's Agreement and a whole bunch of other things. If you want a guy who is right, but vulnerable. Henry Fonda's your guy He's also done the other thing He played young Mr. Lincoln Which is another great courtroom movie About a murder trial Abraham Lincoln did Years before he became president It's quite good But it's also like Total hagiography Um, Yeah he plays a guy He's just a normal everyday guy And he just thinks to himself You know we're deciding On a person's whole fate here And I think We owe it to him To talk it out Hmm. And actually examine Like actually do our job Instead of just writing this off because we don't think enough of this person to do that. Mm. And what he discovers as he attempts to sort of just say, well, here's all the things that you think that happened in trial. Here's another way of looking at that. Is that actually enough time for this witness to have seen someone? Is it actually far enough away that they could do that with certainty?
1: Mm. Is
0: the murder weapon really that unique? Is it actually possible for anyone to get a knife like that? And over time, some people who are simply convinced by uh, the the certainty of the prosecutor start to realize that the prosecutor's job is to only present their case and leave out all the stuff. So, like, if you don't have a great defendant or a defender, you don't have a great like defense attorney. uh, It's only up to the jury to question the evidence. And then you come to the realization that some people are just racist fucks (laughs) and they don't care if they did it or not. They just care that they have the power of someone's life in their
1: hand and they want to use it. Um but there's nothing unilateral about 12 Anger Men. And, yeah. the, and what I appreciate is uh, it actually has uh, 12 points of view. Each one of yeah, those sure. jurors has something different uh, going on in their lives. Yeah. They, uh, all one of them at the start of the movie think that this guy is guilty. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them just wants to get out of there and go to a ball ballgame. Like, yeah. He's just bored. Yeah, he, He's a little... Not, not, not terribly a, not invested. A deep thinking, not taking uh, this seriously. There is a, another guy who's like actually very like kind of this pinched intellect and like mm-hmm. has everything down on a checklist and feels like everything's very logical mm-hmm. and he has to like be sort of out as it were. Yeah. Um, there's uh, a, a lot of talk about, ah, we can't trust this old, this old lady who is testifying. She's like clearly, clearly lying about something. It's like hey, one of the jurors like, hey, I'm old. What the fuck, guys? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're just saying. You're letting it, I mean, your yeah, personal yeah. bias like yeah, and, taint your ability to do And it, it, it all becomes at at about, yeah. quite frankly, pride and prejudice. Yeah. Uh, and it it's, uh, reveals a lot about. One might say the flaw in the jury system because it is just 12 people. Yeah, random people but, who don't necessarily care. But Sidney Lumet presents a movie where the system is working the way it's supposed to, mm-hmm. where people are actually giving serious consideration or taking yeah. this very seriously they, they understand and working they have, out yeah. a lot of their own psychological issues mm-hmm. while they're analyzing this case. You would want, it's, if you were on yeah. trial, the jury to take it this seriously. Yeah. Yeah. You would want that. And, one would hope that if you're ever called for jury duty it sucks I know Yeah, nobody you're trying likes to get it. out of it it's not you have to take time off yeah. of work they don't pay you but if you uh, do find
0: yourself in that room you should take it fucking seriously yeah, because yeah. you would want someone to do so in your mm, turn because in, the, in if the situation was reversed
1: and and it yeah. it's one of the few films that makes me feel okay hmm. with the American criminal justice system. Oh, I, oh, I, I understand it's a fantasy because a lot of it is corrupt and a lot of it doesn't work. And well, it's really, you know, a it, lot of cases don't even go tort- to yeah. trial anymore. Mm. They, they try to
0: actually like, like get settle people... out of court and that kind yeah, of stuff. And that's I mean. and that, a lot of people get screwed on that and actually do more time than they might have otherwise, just mm. because they're concerned that if the jury doesn't take it seriously, if their lawyer isn't that good, mm. if people have biases, they could pay much more dearly for something they might not even have done. Mm. It's really, really terrifying. The thing about 12 Angry Men that I think is interesting is that, in some cases, it's very gritty and real. And in some cases, it's just as aspirational as Mr. Smith goes to Washington. (laughs) There's there's an element of the movie where, over the course of the film, as people start to realize that they were closed-minded, uh, whether they were closed minded about simple, you know, just logic or trusting in prosecutors or being racist, um, their, their ideas are challenged and they have the capacity hmm. either by being sort of outmaneuvered intellectually or when it all comes down to it, just the capacity for shame hmm. for other people's opinion of you to make you realize you might need to change. Mm. and sometimes i think that's a fantasy <laughs> yeah there um, are definitely people who i don't think would be capable of the level of introspection that all 12 people in this mm-hmm. room ultimately are capable of yeah, and it, that's something that maybe i've become cynical maybe the world has become cynical maybe it was always cynical and this movie as gritty as it seems is a little more hopeful mm. than maybe
1: is realistic or at the very well, least I don't know, but but that grit sells it. It it doesn't have like you look at something like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and there's this kind of innocent quality to the Mr. Smith character. Yeah, Uh, the world uh, is corrupt, but he's innocent. Yeah, he's that there there are still innocent things in the world that are worth fighting for in something like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Twelve Angry Men just sort of presents things really matter of factly. Yeah. This, these are the facts of the case, and it is very logical. And in fact, there's a whole murder thriller going on underneath yeah. all of this introspection that's going someone on. Someone died. So, yeah, <laughs> someone died, and we're investigating like from the jury box, and we're yeah. sort of like sort of sussing out evidence. That's uh, a really great legal drama, mm-hmm. even if you're not into the psychological aspect of it, or you're sort of delving into the characters, you can get behind that you know the the thriller aspect of it yeah um there aren't too many great movies about Thrillers about jurors. It's pretty much just this in Runaway Jury. Runaway Jury. There's a movie called The Juror. Oh, which is terrible. The Runaway
0: Jury is actually quite good, by the way. It's also got John Cusack. Mm. uh, And it's about a uh, a case against uh, the gun lobby, basically. And uh, Gene Hackman's a guy Mm. who's trying to fix the jury, make sure the jury is Mm. only people who would vote in favor of not challenging the Second Amendment. And uh, John Cusack finds his way onto the jury. And once the trial begins, he reveals. i'm actually a plant i'm actually here not not from
1: the he's from the anti-gun law
0: well what he he, what he is is he's selling the jury to the highest bidder he tells mm -hmm. the prosecution and the defense i will manipulate this jury from within in ways that you can't Mm -hmm. whoever gives me the most money will win this trial (laughs) and it's really great it's one of the better john british movies it's really clever it's really there's not another movie like it it's really really great uh, you should totally check it out. It's really, really good. It's a great double feature with
1: Twelve Angry Men, but Twelve Angry Men is one of the great it's, movies. Yeah, it, period. It, it, it's just one of the yeah. best ever. Um, well, yeah. I mean, that one and Passion of Joan of Arc. No, no, it's both, true. Both. Uh, and court, my dinner with Andre courtroom dramas. and my yeah. dinner with Andre. And, yeah, and, and I'm very fond of films like Exterminating Angel and, and yeah. Woman in the uh, Woman in the Dunes. Uh, these are all great movies. Yeah, watch them all. We did them all
0: uh, real fast. I'm going to give our uh, our all of our lists in one place. Uh, And then we'll talk about our runners-up as quickly as possible. Uh, Whitney's top ten. Again, no particular order except for number one. Uh, Clerks. uh, The original Funny Games, although they're basically the same movie. Uh, Dog Tooth. The Exterminating Angel. uh, Woman in the Dunes. The Hole. The Hole? Not the Joe Dante film. That's also good, by the way, but that's not a single location film. Uh, Noises Off. My Dinner with Andre. The Passion of Joan of Arc. And 12 Angry Men. Uh, My picks were Lock, Cujo, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, 1408, Cube, Noises Off, Rope, My Dinner with Andre, Searching, and 12 Angry Men. Uh, Whitney, why don't you run down some of your, as many runners up
1: as you'd like see um i i put lock i put rope i put a window on my runners up yeah um I, I mentioned evil dead 2 already although i'm not sure how much that counts um mother yeah that the, uh, they, they the, you, if you the allow Darren a house movie like it's all set in like the yeah. same house and the house is a big part of the movie so i yeah. figured that would count yeah you, you were um, more
0: you, you you allowed houses uh, more than i did yeah, yeah, same,
1: same with uh, another film i saw just recently called bodies 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 is one of my favorite oh, films from last that's year that's a great pick um, that's a great pick clue the murder mystery That's in a, a house. That's a really big house. That's uh, it's, okay, <laughs> a not, really big house. Maybe not Clue. Uh, although the, there's a r- rather amusing film that came out last year called Glorious.
0: Oh yeah, uh, that made my runners-up too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> set, set in a men's room.
0: Set in a men's room where mm-hmm. a guy... Uh, uh, there, there's a guy walks into a men's room in the middle of like a rest stop in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and there's someone in a stall. They're voiced by J.K. Simmons and they know weird things about him and they claim to be an elder god. Yeah, yeah there's some like ancient demon on the other yeah. side of this. Uh, I, I wish it was as good <laughs> as it possibly result. could be, but it's pretty dang good.
1: It, it, b- better, better as a short, I think. but yeah. Probably would have
0: been a better short, but it's a pretty good. Movie. Um,
1: the Breakfast Club. They're, they're trapped, yeah, in, uh, yeah, trapped in trapped sure. in detention for the yeah. whole movie uh karen kusama's film the invitation that is a really terrific movie
0: before i decided that houses would be vetoed that was all in my right, top 10 yeah. i love that movie um Terrifying arsenic and film. old lace is set, in, also, set in a house. that's a really yep, great one also was on uh, list. set
1: in a little smaller apartment but it was recently called the best movie of all time jean dillman yeah uh, also was on my list Ackerman also film. was
0: on my runner's app yeah.
1: uh i saw a uh, this was one that I was tempted to argue for, but ultimately decided it doesn't really count. But uh, Gus Van Sant's film, Jerry, uh, yeah. which is about two men who are lost in the desert. Yeah. But it's filmed in such a way that you, the desert doesn't exist. Like, it's just... like It's still one closer location,
0: if you really want to get technical well, about but, it. it but just, we usually assume it's claustrophobic. Uh, yeah. Like, it's, you, you know, when, here's a film that I, yeah. I almost, like, almost mm. argued for, and then I realized I'm, I'm just arguing to argue. Oh. Uh. Gravity only takes place in space.
1: <laughs> My wife suggested gravity. You know, it's like, like it, space is one. It's location. kind of
0: claustrophobic in its very strange way, but also it totally
1: isn't right. Well, you could and say it's... the same thing about something like the Blair Witch Project, the yeah.
0: woods. No, I don't know. Well, don't, gravity okay. also re- re- had unique filming challenges because of that location. But yeah, you're right. It, it doesn't. It's yeah. not. The, it's not in the spirit of the thing.
1: Uh, but I did see a film called Closet Land, which is a, oh. a two a two hander. It's Madeline Stowe oh. and Alan Rickman. Oh, and he he has kidnapped her and she's tied to a chair Uh and he's accusing her of some kind of like political malfeasance Uh and he like uh, blindfolds her and pretends to be other people, so she thinks that there's other people in the room with her, and she starts to you know, re- uh, reveal things about her personal life. And when was this? Uh, this is like 91-ish, really? around there. I've yeah, I've
0: never heard of this. That's amazing.
1: Uh, yeah, And, it, and huh. it goes back to some, like, personal trauma she suffered and his relationship mm-hmm. to, you know, that and of her own personal life. Really interesting film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Castaway is, I think, sure. an, an intriguing film. Robert Zemeckis, uh, mm-hmm did a really effective version of uh, being resourceful. I always like seeing yeah. desperate situations where characters do resourceful things in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Yeah. Uh, and that's a movie about resourcefulness. That like, one and, and The Martian, although The Martian takes place on several planets. Yeah. Um, that one almost would have counted because he spends most all, all, of the movie almost, trapped in like a... Well, we you know, we spent a lot of time back on Earth and we spend some time with the other astronauts. Yeah. It's, it, it's bigger than just him. Fair enough. Uh, And I'm not sure if you want to count it, but... uh if the bus falls below 50 <laughs> ah! Oh it, shit, it takes that's a good one I hadn't mo- Mostly of that. on a bus uh, So Speed, no, the the Speed is kind I, of a one Because I vetoed Die
0: Hard Because like the building there's, there's a lot of wiggle room and space in it Speed would have made a lot of sense Actually, I probably should have picked Speed That's a good one I wish
1: I'd thought of that S- Speed is, is such a corker Like it really yeah. holds up I watched that movie so much when it came out uh,
0: There's a special c- a category of runner-up that I have oh. Which is uh, absolutely amazing classic movie that I just haven't seen recently enough to mm. to be able to talk about it like in detail, uh, and that is uh, Robert Bresson's A Man Escaped. I've seen A Man Escaped. Oh man, I, see, I saw it in film school, and I haven't seen it since, but it's fantastic. I, I, it's about Brisson. a it's about a uh, uh, French POW who is um, like basically like in solitary uh, in a Nazi prisoner of war camp, and he's trying to escape. And It's fantastic. But I, I haven't seen it recently enough to go into like a lot of detail, and I thought that would be sort of... I, it would be real. I'd be recommending the movie, and I'd tell you it's classic, but it wouldn't be a great conversation. It would be a good podcast, so I'd have that out. A Rear Window is a movie I have seen recently enough to talk about it, but again, I've talked about it a lot. Um, a movie that I honestly don't know why I didn't make my list. It, it's kind of pushing it, but it's also, I think, right, would be Dog Day Afternoon which takes place in a bank mostly, yeah, yeah yeah which is a uh, um what do you call it oh. hostage situation that takes place mostly in a bank and it's fantastic it's also a sydney lumet film there you go um the mist <laughs> fantastic horror movie takes place mostly in a grocery store uh the invitation we already mentioned the black phone is pushing it in terms Ooh. of a ratio a lot of the film takes place just in a basement, but there's it's also a, a lot, lot of, outside lot of, of it. So yeah. I came close. That's just a thriller. I came really. close. There's a really cool... It's, it's really on the nose in its allegory, but it's a really cool uh, sci-fi sort of horror story uh, called The Platform.
1: I, I, I'm not super fond of The Platform. I, I, yeah. I think
0: it would have been a better Outer Limits episode than a movie, but it's about like uh, people on a uh, tiered platform, and hmm. uh, they every day they lower food down on a platform, and the people at the top get to eat as much as they want, and the people at the bottom get to eat if anything's anything's left. And it's a pretty on-the-nose story about capitalism, but it works. Uh, A movie I'm only talking about because it's fun and nobody talks about it, Bait 3D, which stars Mm. Sharni Vinson from Step Up 3D Uh and... um, um, that's the only that matters no, <laughs> no What was that other horror movie she was in From the guys that did The Guest uh, You're Next You're Next She's the star of You're Next uh, Bait 3D is a story about people trapped in a grocery store After a tidal wave The grocery store has flooded And it's full of sharks
1: <laughs>
0: That's an amazing premise And the movie is quite good about it Not quite good enough to make my top ten But I wanted people to know that movie exists And it's fun Uh, A movie I've talked about on a previous episode of The Iron List, and it's a really, really great ensemble cast uh, film. Come back to the five and dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Mm. Uh, Wonderful drama. Really, really great. Um, John Carpenter did a couple of films that I thought weren't quite claustrophobic enough to count, but kind of do. Dark Star and Assault on Precinct 13. And
1: and to an extent, Prince of
0: Darkness. To an extent, Prince of Darkness. Mm. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh! Another one I haven't seen recently enough. Oliver Stone's talk radio with Eric Bogosian. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good. one That's a really yeah. good one. Um, a very very cool. It's, it's it's kind of minimalist in its storytelling. There's not a lot to it. But in terms of just sheer like terrifying atmosphere, uh, forty seven meters down, which takes place almost entirely in a shark cage. That's a pretty good one too. If, yeah. if you ever get a chance to see that in the theater, like, do not miss that one. That's great atmosphere. Uh, the boat thriller Dead Calm, is fantastic um let's see key largo uh was on the was on my runners-up as well that was a maybe uh a movie that i think about a lot but i'm not sure i like it uh is buried with ryan reynolds or it takes place entirely inside a coffin he's been buried alive and he's yeah, got maybe. a cell phone and trying to get out and it's it's one of the most deeply unpleasantly cynical movies ever and i'm not sure that's good or not
1: it, it does at the very least um manage to wring thrills out of this sure confined space
0: yeah uh, let's see here a re- movie came out relatively recently that takes place at the top of a very rickety tower called Fall yeah which is a very fun thriller and I think you know deserves yeah, credit tundest, for it
1: Fall then.
0: yeah uh, let's see here Snakes on a Plane um, <laughs> oh, oh here's a good one that people don't talk about enough Everly starring Salma Hayek it's Die Hard in One Room it's basically she has been uh, she's been kidnapped, she's to like be like a, a gangster's go- Imagine like the head honcha, whoever's like the guy actually in charge in all the John Wick movies, he's kidnapped Salma Hayek and he wants her to be his girlfriend, and she's been like trying to like break out of that, and they keep sending in more assassins to get her under control, and she keeps killing the fuck out of them. <laughs> and the whole room keeps getting increasingly demolished. It's very, very cool. It's it's a little sloppy, but it's really, really cool, and I like it a lot. Um, Let's see. The lighthouse is excellent.
1: Oh yes, the lighthouse. Yeah. Uh, Why didn't I even put the lighthouse? I I, put yeah, the lighthouse.
0: right. I, I'm actually a little surprised it did. Mm. But yeah, it's 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 on as well. And then uh, lastly, Spike Lee's Get on the Bus, which is mm. another movie I haven't seen quite recently enough. Uh, but I, it's it is an excellent what? ensemble drama.
1: Also, that's not just on the bus. I think mostly that it's on the too. bus. Mostly it, the
0: it is, bus. is mostly on. the I said it doesn't have to be the entire film. It has to be most of the film. Um, anyway that is it for the iron list thank you everybody for listening thank you for joining us thank you to our patrons for helping select the topic uh, next time it's going to be uh, October it's Halloween we're going to do uh, most mostly our options are horror related
1: yeah.
0: if you're not interested there will be one other option and your options will be on the Patreon page and you can vote for them uh, right now uh, the best Stephen King movies I swear I will not pick 1408 or Cujo That would be a cheat (laughs) You can't do that Twice in a row Even if they Whether or not They make my list I'm vetoing them I won't put them On that list Um, The best vampire movies Which weirdly enough We haven't done yet And that's a really Huge varied topic (coughs) A lot of interesting Possibilities for it Beyond the obvious uh, the Best Sci-Fi Horror Movies, which is a very specific subgenre, mm. uh, which could be very, very exciting. There's a lot of stuff people don't talk about a lot. And uh, I think this one's been on some lists before that you know never quite made it. Uh, the Best Serial Killer Movies. Movies about serial killers. And then lastly, if you're not interested in horror, if you want to vote for something else, uh, you can also vote for the next installment of our Alphabet series, The Best Movies That Just Happen to Begin with the Letter I. That's what's coming up next on that series so uh, whichever one our patrons vote for that's the iron list we will do in the month of october uh if you want to share your own thoughts on uh maybe some movies that take place in one location that we missed uh or do you have anything you want to add to that conversation you can always email us our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net and we might read your email with your critiques or your own lists on an upcoming
1: episode of We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, Send so us a fiscal letter to the Critical Acclaimed Network. P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, at 90064. Yes.
0: Uh, and, of course, we're on social media, at Critic Acclaim at uh, Blue Sky on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm at William DeBiani everywhere else. I'm at Whitney Seibold as well. And, again, if you want to uh, join up and uh, get all of our episodes, our, our new episodes, ad-free, Uh, if you want to get access to a whole bunch of exclusive shows that we only make for our patrons, uh, and uh, if you want to vote for future episodes of The Iron List, head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network where you can do all those things. Uh, Thank you, everybody, once again. Have a great week slash month. That's the list.